0: We have this key, but we need a cipher to turn the letters on the little disks into the right order, so that they unlock the diary uh, when you turn the key. Otherwise, the diary will explode. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, great.
1: Wonderful. So I mean, all they added is a password. It's not that weird. It's like, not okay, just so it's instead... a password from
0: the start. No one needed any. I, they, they don't. You don't need to put the disks into it. <laughs>
1: just... I, yeah, I don't know why the keys were stored in disks. I think it was just for like style points <laughs> uh, Lupin talks himself up as the person who can break
0: the cipher and debates what 8 letter word that uses 5 letters could be the key and at this point I'm screaming it into the laptop I yeah. watch this on, Laetitia yeah. it's the weird name <laughs> that, yeah. and, and, fun, like, that we had to talk they, about sh- for 5 minutes it they show you series. the
1: letters too it's like oh L-A-T-T-I And he's like, what could it possibly be? And I'm like, hmm, okay, cool.
0: Hello and welcome to Movie Struck, a podcast about movies and the people who watch them. I'm your host, Sophia Ricciardi, and I am joined today by Red from Overly Sarcastic Productions. Red, welcome back to the show. Hello, is this my
1: fourth time? (laughs) It's Fifth up there, uh, Batman.
0: <laughs> I have my dad on every year, and this year on this episode, he did say, "Like, am I your most frequent recurring guest?" And I'm like, "I think Red might actually have you beat." Just sorry, <laughs> I think I've gone on a couple more times than once a year. <laughs> Uh, But yeah, thank you so much for joining us again today. Uh, I have to ask you the question I asked at the top of all these shows. I'm sure you're very familiar by now. Um, Why did we watch Lupin
1: the Third the First? Aside from being able to put the naming convention on blast, uh, much as I enjoy this movie, (laughs) it's very needlessly confusingly named. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I I wanted to uh, take a second crack at this one because I watched it several years back before I had watched any other Lupin the Third stuff. Uh, so I had no context for anything that was happening, and I liked it a lot. I thought it was a fine movie, and having now watched several seasons of the show and many other movies in this series, I can say that, uh, it doesn't change the viewing experience that much. It's just like, yeah, the characters are remarkably consistent, and this is th- this thing that they do here that seems kind of wild and ridiculous is a thing that they do once an episode, so it's not that weird, actually. Um, And I like it because it's basically what would happen if you mashed up the plots of Raiders of the Lost Ark and Castle in the Sky, which are two of my favorite movies. So combine them into one of of movies that I liked.
0: Yeah, I found this movie, I've never
1: seen any other Lupin, Lupin thing. It's Lupin in Japanese and sort of French, but you can say Lupin. It's what I say. I'm sure I'll get in trouble. People will email me. It's fine. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) As long as they're not emailing me.
0: (laughs) Uh, yeah, I found this pretty confusing overall, I would say. <laughs> like, I th- this, the story structure is there to the point where I'm like, I kind of know everything that's going to happen in all of the twists immediately because I have seen a movie before. Yeah, yeah. But then there's just so many things that are... Information I assume someone with more exposure to Lupin would understand immediately. Um, It's it's possible. I have gotten a
1: little too acclimated to it. Like, I think the first time I watched it, I was like, it's weird how many times it turns out that a character's just wearing a flawless rubber mask, and then I watch the show, and I'm like, (laughs) oh no, that's like a three times an episode occurrence.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but we'll jump in, because I feel like the best way to really explore um, the things I did and did not understand about this movie is to just sort of come upon them in the same way. Yeah. So plot summary. Uh, we open World War II, France, in Always the suburbs of Paris. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Presson Mansion. These were all in little chirons at the bottom of the screen, which I appreciate. <laughs> oh, very important question. Did you watch it subbed or dubbed? I figured you were going to watch it um, subbed, so I watched it dubbed. Okay, cool. So we could l- compare and
1: contrast a little. Good. I got I got far enough in the dub to be like, oh, Sam Riegel's in this. And then I was like, I got to switch to the sub. I can't take this seriously. Yeah, it was rough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the problem is I couldn't, because the lip flaps, because it's 3D animated. It's the mm-hmm. only loop on the Third uh, movie that's 3D animated, which is part of why I want to talk about because the animation is really good. But like, it means the lip flaps are extremely unforgiving. Uh, so yeah. like when someone's dubbing it over, it's like, I can tell this is dubbed over because the mouth is doing one thing and the person talking is just trying their best. (laughs) Um, Anyway, yes, France France, Suburbs of Paris, Bresson Mansion Someone
0: closes and locks a very fancy, very elaborate book It's an old man Uh, He gives it to a younger man and his wife and child I assume that these are his uh, son-in-law and daughter Or something of that effect, and their baby And fondly wishes them goodbye before they rush off with the elaborate book Meanwhile, a car is driving through the forest, and as the car containing the family passes them, they pop a quick U-turn and uh, start giving chase. Yep. As they do, soldiers arrive at the Brasson mansion and demand the old man, Professor Brasson, it's his mansion, hand over an item. Unnamed. Presumably, this is the book that was just so important moments ago.
1: There's like um, three MacGuffins in this movie, <laughs> but they're all like part of the same MacGuffin. So yeah. it's kind of like, oh, we got the book. We got the key. We got the other key. We got the, oh, we lost the book. The book had a book inside it. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> anyway. Uh,
0: the professor recognizes these guys as Nazis immediately. And already I was like, oh, okay, this movie's going in so many more different directions than I thought it was going to. <laughs>
1: uh, he I'm call- sorry, this is like <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, this is screenwriting 101. Yeah, the bad guys are Nazis, and uh... bad guys are Nazis. <laughs> yeah. uh,
0: props, the professor. He calls them filth and uh, refuses their call. And for their troubles, we go to an exterior shot and hear a gunshot and have to presume that the professor is dead. Oh, um, yeah, he did. Rip. Uh, on the road, the couple's car and the, uh, the secret bad guy car are in a high speed chase through the uh, forested roads of suburban Paris, uh, ending when the family car. Uh, slams into a passing truck and is brutally totaled. Mm-hmm. Um, emerging from the other car behind them that like, lit a little lighter crash, I guess. Uh, a very funky old man in a definitely Nazi <laughs> uniform ap- approaches the totaled car and finds inside, perfectly placed on the seat looking up, uh, an, a t- completely uninjured baby and a little circular medallion on it. To her be line. fair, the uninjured
1: baby is in the arms of her definitely dead mother. Uh, he like moves <laughs> yes. the, the limp arm off the baby And the baby's like, Teehee, I'm an infant. I don't know what's going on. And he's like, sweet, MacGuffin.
0: I know that the parents had to die because they were unnamed and therefore unimportant at this point in the movie. But like, I couldn't get over how just like staged the placement of the child and the little luck from the book were together. Like, (laughs) It
1: was a little bit perfect. Um... But I guess it's like, okay, we gotta. Wh- what are the most precious things in this car? The baby mm-hmm. and also the MacGuffin. So we put the MacGuffin in the baby's hands and we put the baby in the mom's hands, and then we should be fine. That's two yeah. layers of protection for the thing that matters <laughs> most for the plot to happen.
0: Uh, he grabs the medallion from the baby and limps away. In the woods, we see the book uh, ticking away as it is covered in its elaborate mechanical lock. And through uh going pushing into it we eventually go to some very over the top titles a uh, oh very my funky theme song plays it's been yes. it's an incredibly different tone than everything we have seen <laughs> so far and this is i think the core of my biggest Mm -hmm. whiplash with this movie is that sometimes it is doing a fun funky spy thriller in the way that this opening sequence would lead you to believe Mm -hmm. and sometimes it is just doing like a war drama and i could never quite get those two to mesh quite so perfectly for
1: me (laughs) you have hit on the exact tonal whiplash that is the loop in the third experience because every single thing i've watched in loop in the third except for part five which i think came out in like 2015 and was very overtly written to be like kind of an uh, an homage uh, sort of um, honoring the legacy while being like yeah more adventures will happen but we're taking the season a little more seriously like there's, mm-hmm. there's like smartphones and shit now and we acknowledge that old time spy thief hijinks are weird um, <laughs> but like when you watch just a random episode of Loop on the Third Parts 1 through 4, you are going to either get a fucking Looney Tunes cartoon where everyone's like a rubber hose, like, complete cartoon creature, uh, or you're going to get, like, a deeply emotional character drama playing out on the backdrop of this goofy-ass theft p- plot. Um, yeah. <laughs> so this... Kind of lines up with that, to be completely honest. Uh, And I have to rep that the title sequence is basically just a beautifully, richly orchestrated version of the Loop on the Third main theme that plays before every episode. Uh, So getting to see it in like a big, like Bond opening style cinematic or like X Men zooming through the mechanics of the the door, you know, the one. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. (laughs) Uh, So I had a good time. As soon as that like brass started playing, I was like, I know where I'm at. This is good. I wasn't sure I was watching Loop on the third I the didn't
0: like <laughs> dislike the title sequence they do a little like character lineups you see every like every main character and they're like salient thing and they do a mm-hmm. little pose and there's big big, bombastic music. I don't dislike that, but there are a lot of times in this film, and this is just like the first immediate instance of it, where there is something very serious happening and then we will start doing a rubber hose thing for a while. Or like only Lupin will be doing a rubber hose style of acting and communication and every other character is taking the scene completely seriously. And it was a little tricky to reconcile my mind at points.
1: I agree. For the first like couple weeks that I was watching any of the series, I was like, I don't know if I like this. And then at some point a switch flipped and I was like, "I I accept that this is the paradigm in which I exist now, that everyone else exists in a completely different genre than Lupin.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, we also get a typewriter title immediately afterwards saying the first,
1: um, because again, this movie is L- Lupin the third, the, colon, first. the first. I. The, the naming convention is inexcusable. I don't know why they did it like that. Every other Loop on the Third movie has like a subtitle that's an actual title of the movie. So it could be like, <laughs> oh yeah, Loop on the Third, The Fuma Conspiracy or whatever. But like, this one's just like, oh yeah, which Loop on the Third are you watching? You know, the first one. Oh, the one from like the 80s? No, no, the first, you know, from 2019. I don't know where they got the title from
0: either because there's nothing in the movie that like hinges around this being his first like big heist it or... is not
1: aggressively not the, yeah, the was status like, quo is firmly established
0: <laughs> why is this one called there's nothing about this that is the first of anything it is no one is finding the first item no one is like doing their first adventure it doesn't make sense <laughs> from even what i recall
1: <laughs> you're right but from what i recall of the, like the marketing around this it was one of those it is a 3D animated anime movie, and those are mm. always a little bit risky. And this one, I think, visually, absolutely pulls it off. I love how this movie looks, um, and I think it was kind of like, "Look, we we made this in 3D. We could do more in 3D. Perhaps this could be a new era. I don't know. Could be fun. Uh, I Bold don't know. to make I that don't... the
0: title of your movie,
1: though. <laughs> I don't know why they did that. <laughs> they could have called it anything. That feels like hubris waiting to happen. <laughs> Mm. Well, we haven't gotten a second animated movie yet,
0: so. I uh, three animated movies. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, we'll return to the plot, though. More than a decade later in Paris, we see the Seine and enter the Museum of Paris hosting a special exhibit on the Bresson Diary. Mm-hmm. Uh, a curator's up on stage gassing up the Bresson Diary. It's uh the book from the beginning they found it in the woods all of the it's of course missing its little front circular piece though Mm -hmm. a handy dandy little uh key the audience uh listening in provides helpful context and uh, exposition namely saying to each other that whoever opens and reads the diary will learn the location of a vast amount of treasure and that even the nazis were after the diary All of this is overheard uh, not only by us, the viewing audience, but also by a mysterious woman dressed in green, you know, from the titles. Uh,
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's introduced boobs first, which is what Fujiko would have wanted, I think. (laughs) It's very in character. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Suddenly, a
0: police officer enters and frantically hands a note to the curator on stage. It's from Lupin the Third who is writing to inform them that he is going to make an appearance to obtain the Bresson Diary. Does he usually announce his crimes before they happen, or is this more of just like a style thing?
1: Okay, so funny story about that. He does because the entire c- conceit of the character of Lupin the Third is that he is the grandson of the great Arsène Lupin, who is a gentleman thief. He's like the archetypical gentleman thief. I've been mm-hmm. listening through some of his stories. It's so funny. And the thing is, almost all of Lupin III's gimmicks are just taken from that and made a little bit more cartoony, up to and including the whole, like, master of You never know who is secretly Lupin because like two of the short stories with Arsene Lupin, like the twist is that he's been narrating the whole time Mm. uh, and like you don't find out until nearly the end. So like it's that level of stuff. And the thing about leaving a calling card or leaving like a little like I'm going to rob you at this specific time. That's an Arsene Lupin thing. And so with with Lupin the Third, it's like, yeah, this is this is what his grandpa did, Uh, which is why there's so many other references in this movie to like things that his grandpa did Uh, because that that's yeah. (laughs)
0: Okay, cool, cool, cool. Um, The curator orders the security guards to put the diary in the safe, uh, and though the cop who delivered the note volunteers to handle it, uh, the female security guard, who is much more designed and animated than anyone else present on stage... uh, (laughs) Yeah, she is is a little bit Anna from Frozen. (laughs) He's a little sus-looking, and uh, cuffs the cop, telling the inspector that she suspects he's Lupin, and uh, the inspector and the crowd of cops... um, And and then uh, the door is kicked open, and the... Uh, inspector who constantly chases him kicks open the door and a crowd of cops are with him and they shout... Lupin, and I assume that this is a recurring bit from yeah, the show. Yeah,
1: <laughs> Zenigata's entire bit is that he is constantly trying to arrest Lupin. Uh, it's, it's like, they are the embodiment of that, like, if your rivalry has lasted more than seven years, you're not rivals anymore, you're just married. Uh, so, yeah. pretty much, like, the only time that the format breaks is when Lupin is either presumed dead or already arrested, in which case Zenigata is like, what is my life anymore? I just don't know what's going on. Uh, and then, of course, as soon as Lupin does anything shenaniganery, he's like, I I knew it. Back to the chase. So him kicking open the door and being like, "I'm in this movie." Is like, yeah, yeah, that tracks. Um, yeah. Although I will say it is pretty funny because when when the quote-unquote police officer runs in is like, "Oh, I need to stow the diary." He's like fucking cartoonishly like rubbing his hands together with a big grin, and I was like. Lupin aye, my man, aye, aye. <laughs> latex perfection of the mask will not save you from your inability to act.
0: <laughs> no, and the lady guard explains that he has run in and hasn't broken a sweat either, which is suspicious. Probably mm-hmm. because he's wearing a big rubber mask. The suspected Lupin releases a gas from his sleeves and frees himself using a gadget to like reverse Keaton Batman rope himself up and ascend into the
1: ceiling. Yeah, it's like a little grappling hook. Yeah. Thing.
0: Um, and though the inspector grabs his foot and hangs on, Lupin knocks him off as he takes off his Mission Impossible mask and also, like, tear away guard uniform to reveal what I assume (laughs) is his usual red suit.
1: Yeah, basically. Uh, you can tell what season you're watching by the color of the suit jacket, uh, so making it red is kind of like, yeah, this is classic Lupin, guys, don't worry about it. Whoa. (laughs) We're not in the blue jacket season. He
0: swings up to the chandelier, escapes through the window, uh, but does not have the diary. Instead, the female security guard has the diary, and the inspector t- says that she should take it to a safe. Uh, so he tells her to take care of it and sends a cop to escort her to the vault. As they walk to the vault, the female guard apologizes before pepper spraying the cop. He passes out, and she apologizes once again. Uh, this is the baby from the beginning, right? This like, immediately. Yeah. This is the this baby. OP, the baby. Um. <laughs> this is the part where I think the movie, I have seen too many movies as a human being because I was like watching it and I'm like, that's the baby. Mm-hmm. She's not gonna know that it's secretly her grandfather's diary. Yeah,
1: and yeah, yeah. that's
0: gonna be like this is this is her movie now.
1: <laughs> yeah, there were a few parts where I was like, I'm not sure if this is supposed to be a twist. Uh, we'll we'll get to one of those in like a minute or two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> outside on the roof of the museum
0: the lady guard sneaks out with the diary looking up over Paris dramatically when the diary is quite literally fished up by Lupin who is also on the roof they squabble over the diary for a bit a bit more lighthearted than the previous chase scenes before she slips and falls but uh Lupin catches her and tells her that you know you shouldn't become a thief reluctantly because you're not gonna be very good at it and also like your heart's not in it uh and I guess that's his like moral for the movie
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, kind of. Uh, Lupin doesn't really go through an arc in almost anything. He just kind of exists as a static point in time. Most of the main characters are like that. Yeah. Uh, it's it, This is a series that is aggressively allergic to, like, long-form storytelling. You don't even get, like, seasonal arcs most of the time, which I like. I think that's great. It's why this formula allowed for, like, like 20 fucking seasons. <laughs> um, but, uh... Yeah, uh, Lubon's main thing is to kind of exist as a fixed point, which is, like, mm-hmm. you should, like, pursue happiness and self-actualization, and for me, that means taking other people's stuff! So, you know, he's, he's just having a good- he's living his best life. It's self-care.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, he runs across rooftops, jumping out of her reach as he uses his rubber hose powers to essentially make uh, inhuman bounds. Uh, and as he's waving the diary about above his head, a hand comes in from out of the frame and grabs it. It's our redheaded friend from the credits, uh, the yeah, lady yeah, listening yeah. in earlier. She thanks Lupin as she takes the book and flies away on her helicopter, uh, effectively removing the MacGuffin from the scene. This uh, is she's recognized by Lupin as Fujiko again. Mm. Resu- re- she was in the title credits, so I have to assume that she is a high- heavily recurring character who does basically this every time. <laughs> she's
1: one of the four main characters uh, of the- basically. There's the trio of like dudes that typically hang out with each other and like do the main stuff and she is kind of the wild card who will turn up with problems, uh, backstab them around the second act uh, end point uh, and then be forgiven in the third act uh, sometimes with a certain amount of reluctance uh, Lupin is the only one that is continuously like falling for her tricks and then forgiving her at the end the other two guys are extremely over it at this point uh, but they kind of just have this rapport you know there are a few moments where it's like oh you know they, they, they complain but like they all really do like each other it's okay yeah. uh, so like Fujiko it's like <laughs> there's a bit where the Guys, like, you thought you could backstab us, and she just kind of does the eh, but kind of like sticks her tongue out. And I was like, that is the arc, architect- like, that's yeah, there's no explanation. She's like, yeah, I did think I could just backstab you and get away with it. It's worked every time.
0: <laughs> uh, and as she's flying away, the inspector and his guys arrive at the roof deck via a very charming, fancy little French elevator that goes to the roof deck, which again is beautiful with lots of nice greenery. Uh, I mean, I thought I really it was very charming. <laughs> Lupin gets back to running as the inspector mocks Fujiko for getting him once again. Uh, And in the process of uh, trying to not get tackled by the guards, Lupin also loses his fancy, fancy suit. Um, Yeah.
1: (laughs) The, the whole like guard dog pile thing is very much like that's a Ghibli ism. Um, Studio Ghibli, before it was Studio Ghibli, animated a lot of Lupin the Third uh, and some, a lot of the early episodes. Miyazaki directed a couple episodes. And I mm-hmm. did notice watching them that like the guard dog pile is like a signature move in a Ghibli production. You'll just get a big pile of mooks and then the person will pop out the top. Uh, so they did that in 3D and I thought that was clever. But he does kind of like peel to get out. <laughs> just like boxers and undershirt. Uh,
0: the cops are also after the lady thief across the way. Our, our former security guard turned uh, definitely not long-lost baby. Uh, yeah. Seeing her in trouble, Lupin is distracted and gets caught in a net as she is able to jump off the roof and parachute to safety. Running away on the streets, the girl thief is on a walkie with her grandfather on the other line. Hmm.
1: I think this is one of the things that's supposed to be a twist, because I was yes. like, oh, I recognize that voice. or And, and then like, they kind of carefully only show her on the walkie from her side. We don't see the other person talking. And then it will cut to, like, another scene with a different... Mm, person doing stuff where we know what they're up to. And I was like, obviously those are the same guy. But I think we're maybe not supposed to already know that. Yeah. Uh, if you
0: watch it with subtitles on, it says his name the first time he talks. So <laughs> I mind. actually knew who it was immediately. But that's not a flaw of the movie. That's uh, a problem of subtitle convention. <laughs> mm. Um. But she apologizes to her grandfather for failing and she's like, "Uh, you know, uh, I'm so sorry. And her grandfather responds by berating her and revealing that he had a backup plan handle it all and that she should forget about their arrangement. And this is devastating to her. We don't know what the arrangement is yet. I'm sure we will find out inevitably. In a secret basement of some kind, or some other sort of creepy little shelter somewhere, uh, a suited old man, addressed as Professor Lambert, I'll give you one guess as to who the guy on the walkie might have been, based on who (laughs) we're immediately seeing in the scene, addresses a a crowd, uh, and he's like... We've finally obtained the Bresson Diary. And he uh, then explains to the audience, I mean the people at the table around him, that the Bresson Diary is protected by an impractical mechanism and that they have to open it no matter what. Um, And as he talks, they get news that the woman has arrived and enters Fujiko, who presents the diary and asks for her reward, which Lambert lazily waves to her as she picks up a suitcase of money and goes to walk out of the room as Lambert raves over the diary, But before she can leave, um, another man in the room who is not named in the subtitles or the film until the last, like, 20
1: minutes, but his name is Gerard. Yeah, they don't say his name before then. I had to keep calling him the the bad guy. In the sub, they definitely do, like, name him before that. That must have just been, like, a a weird weird, thing in the the translation. They were just like, his name exists, we don't need to do that much work. His name is Gerard, and he is a bigger,
0: badder guy than Lambert. They will be working together for most of this, uh, reluctantly. Varying degrees of reluctantly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, before Fujiko can leave, Gerard is like, stop her, and reveals a secret tracker that she had placed in the case she delivered the diary in. He accuses her of trying to follow them to the treasure, and she immediately admits her guilt and does a little teehee thing that you described earlier. Yeah, I guess she's caught. Um, With a heavy police escort, uh, Lupin is also caught. He's being transported while the inspector doodles on his face and makes fun of him. And adding insult to injury, some other guy who was also there in the car... Uh, In the little transport vehicle, makes fun of Lupin for trying to steal the Bresson diary since it's the one thing his grandfather, the great thief Lupin, never could. Yeah, Um, it was funny for that guy to just be in the movie for exclusively this one car ride. Just to to provide exposition, which is what most of the side
1: characters in this movie exist to do. Well, it didn't make sense for Zenigata to know that, I guess. Why would he know this thing about the history of his lifelong nemesis?
0: It was very like they would some every time they would mention his grandfather, it would be like he's a great thief, and also he was very interested in this diary for some reason. Please remember that because there is going to be (laughs) nothing other than odd lines of dialogue to tell you, the audience, that this was important. Um, Because Lupin never really like says it out loud so much. It is really just other characters who will like mock him about it.
1: Yeah, it it's never really clear if that's the reason he wants it or if it's just because it's a treasure and thus he wants it. Like yeah. that that is, again, this is I think something that like cuz I've gotten so used to the formula, I was like, I don't need an explanation for why Lupin the 3rd is trying to steal something. <laughs> that's literally just the premise. I feel
0: like if because they do do a lot of work to make it why he might be personally invested in this in some ways, effectively or not. I almost wish they had done more or less, like either make it more obvious that he has some sort of personal investment in this or mm-hmm. just lean totally into thief, big treasure. Now he's going to see this through to the end kind of deal. Because uh, I feel like it was too much of a half measure to sometimes drop into like grandfather thing. And it comes around later on in the film. We'll see like there's a like yeah. little narrative reason for it. But like it's it, I almost wish there was less of that. Uh, and it could just be, yeah. well, he's a thief, he does thief things. That's all you really need to know about this character because there are other characters who have the personal connection we need.
1: Yeah, I think they didn't need to drop the exposition in in this scene. I feel like it's probably there because they did, like, somebody test-watched and was like, whoa, I can't believe Arsene Lupin was involved in this diary! Where did that come from? So they needed to just <laughs> insert this random side character to be like, yes, as we all know, your grandfather, Arsene Lupin, <laughs> failed to steal this diary! It's like, <laughs> wow, <laughs> thank you, random citizen! Uh, and this
0: information uh, seems to be devastating to Lupin Third for a second... Uh, and he sort of, like, mock sobs before immediately beginning his escape plan. And again, we go from what seems to be a fairly serious scene to the big, brassy music playing. And I'm like, oh, okay, the second
1: tone of the movie. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. You have to understand, what what follows is entirely par for the course. <laughs> this is deeply normal for the way these guys work. <laughs> uh,
0: there's a little yellow car that pulls up behind the cops, driving recklessly and transporting the other guys from the opening credit sequence. It, yeah, it's the other two dudes we uh, haven't seen yet. Jigun and Goemon,
1: I believe. Jigun and Goemon, yeah, yeah. Um, Goemon
0: is just a straight-up samurai, and Jigen is a guy who wears his hat really low all the time and is good with a gun. Yes, that is that's really all you need. Although all I do you know really... fun
1: facts about both of them in <laughs> <laughs> the show. You're welcome to drop them, but that is all the information the movie will give us. <laughs> that's kind of all you need. Uh, again, the first time I watched it, I was like, "Oh, okay, these two are badasses in completely different ways." And then I watched like five seasons of the show, and I was like, "I was correct in my assessment," <laughs> but now I know fun facts as well. Nice. Uh, The little car, yellow car,
0: spins around and drives backwards. The guy with the hat, Jigen, shoots the tires out of some of the other cops. Uh, and uses a bullet to unscrew a road sign sending the transport up in the air where the samurai does the thing that anime likes to do where it cuts it in half by just unsheathing a sword very briefly uh yeah, and that loop is it. the <laughs> only
1: thing he does Goemon's signature move is cutting things in half that it realistically feels like he probably shouldn't be able to it is not the only time he will do that in this movie no uh, I'm glad they didn't just do it once I was a little bit worried when the scene started I was like are they just getting out their quota of like we need to make Goemon slice a, a car in half and we need to make Jigen do some insane trick shots uh just to show that they can, so that mm-hmm. later when things happen, we know what to expect from them. <laughs>
0: uh, and Lupin jumps out of the get, uh, out of the transport into the getaway car and uh, drives away to safety. Uh, Lupin is taking his cuffs off and brings his boys up to speed about not having the Bresson diary and Fujiko jumping in. And Jigen is a little miffed because he's like, well, if you don't have the diary and it, we don't even know if it really leads to treasure, like, why, why should we bother with this? And Lupin not getting the immediate... Uh, enthusiasm that he wants kind of petulantly is like, well, if you don't want to help me, then I won't share the treasure. And um, that's sort of the whole scheme of this scene.
1: <laughs> yeah, basically.
0: I think um, they were like,
1: we need to have one fun rescue. We need to establish the other two protagonists. Um, <laughs> but we don't want them involved quite yet in the actual plots of the story. So. No. But, but again, should like... We be ancillary for a bit. I will say, like, as uh, opaque as this apparently is to a new viewer, I, I do think that they've really captured the just the vibes of the thing they were trying to adapt remarkably well, and again, this is a completely different animation medium, and I think that they really, uh, got across the visual language of just all the stuff to be expected from the other movies in this, uh, the series, Uh, I I think they translated it remarkably well. And I like that there were no points where I was like, this characterization is weird. Or like, I don't know, these characters feel a little underpowered compared to what I'm used to. It was mostly... The main problem is that there's another movie happening um <laughs> you know at the same yeah. time as this stock episode of Lupin the third yeah um, I will say
0: like with no exposure to Lupin otherwise the parts of this movie I like the more, most were the parts where they were doing more of the kind of goofy heisty stuff because I mm-hmm. like goofy heisty stuff a lot uh see the Logan Lucky episode of this podcast for more on that but like, yeah. <laughs> like I, I there's a lot of things I like here but I think it's like you said like it's just two movies happening and the other movie I was very uninterested in and they would do more mm-hmm. of the brassy musical playing and be like okay I'm gonna be entertained for five minutes yeah like, kind of go back to the other thing i didn't care about so much
1: no i agree i think that um the the thing about the the main characters of Lupin the third is that they're all pretty as mentioned they're they're pretty static which means they can be easily inserted into other scenarios Mm -hmm. uh so like half the episode premises are just like we're just gonna put them in a weird situation and see what happens um a lot of the movies are very similar it'll be like we've got some new threat or like uh hey we're gonna drop you in this like this country that's experiencing a catastrophic civil war uh, and like a missing prince and some shit and uh, there's nanobots as the main threat and now the Lupon gang gets to deal with that shit and it's like, oh, uh, okay. <laughs> so that's a real one, uh, it was very confusing. So this comparatively, like the total disparity between the main guys and like the plot they've been added to isn't ridiculously jarring at all times, I don't know, I thought it was fine. Um, <laughs>
0: But they you're right, move that the, the... in very <laughs> different ways than everyone else in the movie do. There's a distinct, yeah. which is not necessarily a flaw, but it is a distinct difference that does not help them to
1: mesh much with the other plot. I do kind of like when the main character is in a different genre than everybody else, but you know, it, it, it's it's definitely not for everybody. I think.
0: <laughs> uh, but we'll we'll return to our big bads. Uh, previously unnamed Gerard is watching Lambert play uh, attempt to open the diary, but the key he has isn't working. Oh, no, they can't get the thing they stole open. Um, Back in Paris, the girl security guard, who is as of yet unnamed, returns home uh, to her apartment and collapses on her bed, replaying the guard she maced in her mind. Uh, She's very upset with all the crime she had to do when the voice of Lupin interrupts her. He's like, I told you you weren't a good thief and uh, then reveals that he's been here the whole time. And before he can do like a a proper ha ha ha. I am so smart speech. She throws a shoe at him. which he puts a tracker on, or he put a tracker on earlier, which is how he got to her apartment. He starts like poking around, looking at all her stuff. And he's like, I'm here for Eclipse, the treasure that we're both looking for. And I'm like, I thought that was the diary, but the diary leads you to Eclipse. So don't worry. (laughs) It's all, there's more MacGuffins.
1: Yes, yeah, and they else. haven't even assembled all the MacGuffins
0: to get into the diary yet. There's so many little items they name drop in this scene, and they're <laughs> all different things, but they're all part of the same thing. And I'm like, just make it one thing. <laughs> just have I to find like, one thing. I like how simple it gets later, but at, at this point, it's
1: definitely a little... Lo- I like, could this never is keep maximum. track of like,
0: who had what thing who needed which thing to open what and in what order they needed to find all the things and i think if they had streamlined that a bit i would have been on board because it seems that basically if you have the diary all of the other things will assemble themselves in some way mm.
1: Yeah, I do think that, uh, to its credit, they don't really drag this part out too, too long. Uh, Like once it's like, okay, so the one key didn't work because there is, haha, second disc that contains key uh, that Lupin's had the whole time, I guess, whatever. Um, (laughs) And then after that point, it's just like, all right, three things, put them together, one thing pops out and that will lead you to the main thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, brevity, there is a little bit of that in
0: this. (laughs) Uh, He also finds her archaeology thesis, and she talks about the wonder of archaeology for a bit as he marvels at her thesis conspiracy board and matches, like you said, the second key that he has to an image Mm -hmm. on the board of the same key. Uh, And apparently, um, this is also... Viewers will recognize this as the circle that the baby had with the car, um, and apparently they are part of a set of two, and this is how you open the diary. Um, This revelation shocks her, and though he claims to have gotten the key he has from his grandfather she accuses him of stealing it because again his grandfather was a master thief so it's not a completely unreasonable jump
1: to have made to be fair that just means that arsene stole it doesn't mean Lupin did anything wrong <laughs> <laughs> i inherited it from my grandfather the world's most famous thief yeah Well, i'm sure he acquired it completely legitimately
0: <laughs> Uh, he tries to go back at her with questions about where she got her key, and she immediately goes to get changed and instead hides in the bathroom and radios her quote-unquote grandfather, saying that there are two identical keys and Lupin has one of them, and Lambert is like, gotcha, gotcha, so... Uh, I mean,
1: uh, who is that? What? Who could I be on the I think at this point,
0: other? there is a oh. point in this conversation where we see him talk, or we see, like, uh. his chin talking in a shot, and I'm like, well, there's hmm. only been, like, one old man there's so There's only one old man! There were two, and then one of them got shot! <laughs> so... Uh. Uh, yeah, Lambert's like, all right, last chance, Leticia, bring Lupin to me along with the key. And she tries to say, like, I can't do this, but he promises to reconsider their arrangement as she stares longingly at a Boston University of Archaeology postcard on her yeah. bathroom wall. And as a Boston University alumni who took at least one archaeology class, I can tell you right now that that is not what they call that department. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Uh, her big goal is to go to Boston University to study archaeology. I mean, which is funny because she's already the
1: kind of expert you only get in (laughs) movies. She's written her thesis. Yeah. Also, she like reads every ancient language ever fluidly without references. it's like girl Did what is even the go point of college to
0: undergrad or is she trying to apply to undergrad and there cause later on her thesis will have been sent to Boston University and they will offer her acceptance because of this which is not how college applications in the US really have ever worked no.
1: maybe she's gonna turn <laughs> up and be like and they'll be like oh for the new teaching position because you're so ridiculously <laughs> overqualified and she'll be like I'm like 17 yeah, um yeah
0: um, also, I didn't mean to shade the BU uh, archaeology department, go terriers. <laughs> I did like the classes that I took there. They let me take those instead of other science credits, yeah. uh, film majors, baby. Um, but yeah, she's got the postcard from, the, from BU on her wall. And she agrees after staring longingly at it to uh, play her part in this. Letitia goes back to Lupin with a deal. She'll give him the info that she has if he helps her solve the mystery of the Brassant Diary. And though it takes a small bit of convincing and more lore dumping, apparently uh, she knows that Brasson had a partner and uh, Brasson was killed so that the Nazis couldn't get Eclipse Uh, and he left a clue in the form of the diary and she wants to know why and what and all those details and solve the mystery of Eclipse. Uh, And after all this exposition, he's like, yeah, 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 we can work together. I don't have a crew anyway, so it should be all good.
1: (laughs) Yeah, all of my homies ditched me, so.
0: (laughs) All of my homies ditched me for the duration of this film until we get to the big team up because uh, you are the plot relevant character in this instance and I am just along for the Wacky Wacky Ride.
1: Yeah, Um. (laughs) yeah, this is probably the least Lupin part of the movie, which is okay.
0: (laughs) Uh, She finally gives him her name, Laetitia. Uh, and he, like, seems to vaguely recognize it when she says it, and it's, like, that's a crazy
1: name to
0: just, like, (laughs) drop out of nowhere.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah, this is the part where I was, like, this is the Raiders of the Lost Ark Venn diagram with Castle in the Sky, and I was, like, it's not that weird of a name when I'm expecting, you know, Shita and Pazu and stuff (laughs) like that. Um. It's not that,
0: like... It's not that it's a strange name in real life but in the context of this film as well too it is like oh yeah everyone in my family all of their all the women are named Latisha
1: and, yeah, um, that was a weird one to. Draw. I was
0: orphaned, so I don't know like my birth family at all. I'm like, but you know this family tradition, which means that it there can't be that many families who name every
1: single woman in their family. Letitia, and
0: it feels like you should be able to figure this one out pretty easily.
1: Yeah, so there's there's I, I hesitate to say that it's a plot hole, but I did notice a little bit of a disparity here because initially when she said that, I assumed she was guessing from two data points, which is ah, the one photo I have of my mother says her name was Letitia. My name is all. Letitia. I assumed that like when she was orphaned uh, and they like unless they had her like birth certificate in the car Mm -hmm. And they were like oh, I guess this kid's named Leticia I figured that they were just like oh a photo with a name on it We'll just give her that name and she was like It's probably a grand family tradition and not just a heartbreaking tragedy I experienced at an early age and the consequences thereof, but then later it's heavily implied that like it, it actually is a family tradition specifically for the well, it's not like that's not the only explanation. There are other explanations for why that plot point comes back later. Mm-hmm. But I went from being like, oh, that's presumably just her guessing to being like, oh, so we now have outside confirmation that indeed it was a family tradition that every girl in her family is named the same thing. <laughs> every
0: girl in her family is named the same thing. Also, like, if her parents died in a tragic car accident, um, she was found there, so they know that her parents... That- I don't. The orphanage wouldn't, like, hide that information from her, I don't think. Like, I don't think that's, like, a closed adoption situation where you wouldn't know mm-hmm. your parents' surname. So a lot of the plot of this that revolves around oh, her being I that see. secret baby did fall apart after I thought about it for about 0.2 seconds after she said the name <laughs> Letitia. <laughs> and she's so smart. How could she not have figured
1: this out? She's an archaeology whiz. I choose to believe that, like, they, you know, they find the crash... And they're just like, or or, there's another explanation, because it would actually serve the machinations of whoever the guy on the radio is, I don't know, uh, to not let her know that. So if he, like, picks up the baby and drops it at orphanage, and it's like, here's the one photo of her mother, don't know anything else, don't ask any questions, bye. (laughs) They're just like, okay, free baby, I guess.
0: Yeah, Um, I don't know why they didn't just, because he later adopts her. Why didn't he just take the
1: baby to begin with, you know? Yeah, I assume they were lying about the orphanage thing, but I guess he came back a few years later. He flashes back to it at some yeah, point. Yeah, he was like, all right, I guess uh, now that the potty training's out of the way and I don't need to do as much work, which would, in fairness, be deeply in character for how much of a piece of shit this guy is. Yes, he's a
0: real asshole. Um, yeah. On the, e- in, in, the e- in an evil boat, an evil boat of some evil kind, boat, yes. uh, Laetitia and Lupin are hiding in crates, and this is when she goes through explaining uh the, her name is the family tradition, yada 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 and she has a picture, or Lupin has a picture that he swiped from her apartment uh, that's an old wedding photo uh, and the bride is labeled as Leticia in it um, he then goes on to tell her uh, that he knows it's her mom in the photo and she gets all sad and he gets her whole tragic backstory uh, yada yada yada, also I liked that she was eating butter cookies out of one of those tins that always has sewing equipment in it in this scene yeah I Very... that was cute
1: too, <laughs> even if was it like... was just for the symbolism
0: of like, mom's cookies as she's like, my parents are dead <laughs> Suddenly the motor on the boat stops and Lupin watches out of the crate as the supply ship signals to a massive seaplane which comes and lands on the sea inside uh lupin and latisha have managed to sneak on and they see lambert telling two miscellaneous scientists that they're just waiting on the second key and then they can open the diary and then they put it in a secret safe in the wall that it looks like books so when you push on it it like pops out of a library wall which is again mm-hmm. that kind of shit i love i almost wanted that <laughs> to be the whole i'm like this should be the whole thing
1: <laughs> just the um, escape room shenanigans <laughs> yeah
0: yeah um after he closes the secret library door, Lambert leaves, and Lupin and Letitia go to open it, and Lupin has to crack a safe with just so, so many twisty little dials on it. There's, like, 30 all over the front. Does that actually
1: make it more secure? Like, <laughs> I don't think so. I Maybe some of them are dummies or something? If, like, one of them is rigged with an explosive and, like, whoever knew it... Because it feels would-
0: like if that was how safes work, every safe in the world would have, like, 30 locks on it.
1: Yeah. I j- I. I don't know the locking mechanisms of many safes. I assume there's a way to make that work. Ooh. I assume you could have like different little slidey bars on different it's sides. It's like a big slide puzzle on the inside. All the yeah, exactly. <laughs> But I think it's just like it's a visual gag for the benefits of the average audience member who doesn't know how to crack a safe and thus yeah. assumes that the more dials. Oh, I have no it's problem with it harder. existing
0: in this film, but it did make me go, yeah. whoa, so many dials. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Lupin gets to it. He succeeds. He does all the little twisty twisties. And uh, he and Leticia are able to remove and examine the caged up diary. Lupin remarks as he holds it that it feels nostalgic for some reason. And then uh, footsteps approach, so they go to hide. They are stuck inside of this plane as Lupin comments that the tight security will make it impossible to escape which like, how did you, you guys got in here? I know that maybe the crates could have been loaded on, but it feels like there had to have been an escape plan at some point.
1: Yeah, there's, this is something I've observed as the narrative convention of the way that Lupin the Third works is kind of like, at any given point, the characters can either be so ridiculously hyper-confident that all security measures just don't matter against them, or like, oh no, this is a security measure that we actually can't beat until later when I figure out how to do it off screen and can do it now. (laughs) (laughs) I, there's only so mad I can be because I feel like that's in the like rubber hose Looney Tunes side of the storytelling where the more you question it, the less you're getting the point, as it were. Yeah, I don't know. But also that's that's an Arsène Lupin thing too. I've been noticing that as I hear as I listen through it because it'll be like, oh, but it's absolutely impenetrable, and uh, sometimes it'll just be like. Th- Actually, you know what, I gotta amend that, because while it does look like that, they usually do go in and then explain like, oh, you thought it was impenetrable, but actually there was like a tiny hole by the glass that uh, like a, a thin wire could be inserted into to open it. Like, like Arsene will actually be like, no, 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 I'm not like a wizard. I actually yeah. can only do physically possible things. Like at one point it's like, how could he possibly rob this castle? The only people inside it were the guy who owned it and the investigator trying to find Lupin again. And then it's like, "Uh, just kidding. The investigator was one of Lupin's friends disguised. Actually, that's how they robbed the place. Uh, they just Classic. got a guy on the inside. And I was like, sure, but I'm used to basically magic and gadgets <laughs> and perfect rubber masks at this point. So this feels like mm-hmm. very refreshing. They find their way to
0: one of the scientists' rooms and decide that they have to open the diary here inside of this plane. So Lupin messes with the key and he explains that they, again, there are so many component pieces and they were nearly all done. We're nearly irrelevant. done with the component pieces. <laughs> He's like, uh, we have this key but we need a cipher to turn the letters on the little disks into the right order so that they unlock the diary uh, when you turn the key. Otherwise, the diary will explode. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, great, wonderful. So I mean, all
1: they added is a password. It's not that weird. I mean, it's like, okay, so instead- a password instead... from the start. No one needed any, I, they,
0: they don't, you don't need to put the disks into it. <laughs>
1: just... I, yeah, I don't know why the keys were stored in disks. I think it was just for like, style points.
0: <laughs> Lupin talks himself up as the person who can break the cipher and debates what eight-letter word that uses five letters could be the key. And at this point, I'm screaming it into the laptop I yeah. watch this on, Laetitia. Yeah, it's the weird
1: name. <laughs> that yeah, you and, and like, that we had to and talk they, about sh-
0: even for five minutes. And I show the you the
1: letters too. It's like oh, L A T T I, and he's like, what could it possibly be? And I'm like, okay, cool. And Um, then Laetitia,
0: whose name again does meet the criteria, inserts the key into the diary, which starts a countdown to it just exploding. So they gotta figure this shit out in like a
1: minute. Uh, What I will say about this scene in particular is that they have the ticking in the background, uh, uh and I was sort of reflexively just like counting the ticks. And uh, when they've cut away from the diary, I was like, oh, 15 ticks, and it cuts back and it's 50 seconds. And I was like, hey, (laughs) you liars, (laughs) just don't include the ticking. (laughs) Anyway. But it adds so much
0: tension. That's Sound Design 101, baby. <laughs> Ugh. Uh, yeah, eventually Lupin gets an idea and tries it. And though we don't see it, I'm at this point <laughs> watching it, I was 100% sure that the answer to that cipher was Leticia. Uh, mm-hmm. At the last second, literally, we see it in the little ticker. The counter stops and the diary unlocks. Lupin opens the uh, mechanical casing to reveal that the diary inside, uh, it uh it, he saves the story of what the word he used to open it was for later <laughs> yeah, he won't tell her for no reason whatsoever
1: <laughs> well it means that he's figured out the twist of her being the baby in the car and the the grandkid of the like He so he's figured out the plot that we've figured out but leticia hasn't figured out the plot so he's it made like me I'll so save mad this that she later. hadn't figured that out yet yeah, yeah. I
0: was I mean. so angry at this part of the movie, being like, "Why does she not know this yet? She's a Boston University College of Ar- Archaeology hopeful."
1: What I will say <laughs> it's is that I the actually... College of Arts
0: and Sciences. There is not a separate <laughs> College of Archaeology.
1: <laughs> it, was it like that in the fucking sixties or whatever this came out? I don't know. Cent? I don't know. Whatever the the Ucronia in which it is set. <laughs> um I will say that. uh this is actually a little bit of consistent characterization, because while we know that she's this ridiculously super smart, talented baby Indiana Jones, basically, um, she has had her self-esteem and... Uh, tal- uh, uh, oh, fuck, what's the damn word I'm looking for? Um, confidence in her abilities, systematically broken down by her shit-ass, awful, evil, fake <laughs> grandfather. Uh... And it becomes extremely clear that like, she does not actually recognize her own uh, worth or value, which was, this is a very like, uh, Rapunzel and Mother Gothel situation in terms of like, how much uh, she's been like, systematically fucked with specifically for the benefit of her awful uh, parental figure that's using her for their own uh, ends. So I think her never even considering that somebody as cool and like, wonderful, like up on a pedestal as Bresson could ever be like her grandfather, it makes sense for her to not make that connection from the privacy of her own um, insecurities. Uh, so that I'm not as mad about because uh, it at least is consistent characterization. And th- this isn't me like reading too far into it. This is a explicit characterization for both her and her awful terrible Nazi fake grandfather situation that we'll get into later. Um, yeah. Um... Yeah. <laughs>
0: She starts to read the diary and explains that there is a bunch of different ancient languages inside. Uh, All different kinds of ancient civilizations uh, are written about. She explains that the eclipse is a gift from an ancient civilization and uh, it was some sort of generator for crazy amounts of energy. There's a bunch of lines about how in order to reach the eclipse you got to go through three trials and the diary has all the information on how to navigate those trials Um, and uh, also that like You know, we wrote this diary and he hid it because like Brisson didn't think humanity was ready for the eclipse yet. And if you still don't think humanity is ready, just like hide the diary again until they are. And I'm like, what? Don't introduce this sort of mechanic into this movie. Everyone, we're going to find eclipse. We all know we're going to find eclipse at this point.
1: Yeah, th- this part really suffers from the foregone conclusion part of storytelling, where it's like, there's no universe where they're like, oh, I guess we shouldn't go find it. You know what? We'll just go steal something else, I guess, you know, yeah. <laughs> come back next week for a new episode. Um,
0: <laughs> as he's reading, Latisha holds Lupin, uh, Lupin off at, up at gunpoint, uh, but he has her bullets, so she can't shoot him anyway, which is a trick that will be important later, audience. Remember that. <laughs> um, He's like, I knew you were setting me up, and chides her again for being a thief when her heart's not really in it, and then he walks out of the room and surrenders to the waiting guards. Letitia gives the diary to Lambert, her secret grandfather, the big bad, and no uh, the guy who at this point, my notes were still labeling the big bad, but his name Gerard, as I found out in the last 20 minutes of the movie, um, yes. <laughs> Lupin, uh mocks Lambert about... Having to solve the rest on their own, which really riles up the scientist. He, he boasts about being the founding member of Annerb
1: Annerb Annerb. Which well, at least that's um, how they said it in the Japanese version. I don't know how you're supposed to pronounce it in German.
0: It's a. Uh, he describes it as a research institute. Everything about these guys, and also the part in the earlier of the movie where one audience member described the book as being stolen by Nazis or desired
1: by Nazis, mm-hmm. makes mm-hmm. me a, a viewer immediately be like, oh, these guys are a bunch of Nazis. <laughs> yeah, also, like, it's crucial to note that, like, Gerard's character design is, like, the full... Like, it's not... It's not a Nazi military uniform, but it no, is the kind of close. pinstripe suit with yeah. the exact silhouette. He's got the undercut. He's got the jaw and cheekbones thing. He keeps holding his, like, handkerchief over his nose whenever he has to deal with anybody he doesn't like. He's the most Bond
0: villain of anyone in this movie. Does he have uh, an eye scar? I feel he, like does he does have does. an eye scar. Yeah. His hair is, like, not bleach blonde, but, like, a silvery kind of situation. It's, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Letitia doesn't recognize the name of this research institute, so I guess he's just never said it out loud to her in their entire being-raised childhood. Uh, So she can
1: read Acadian without a reference, but she doesn't know the name of a major research institute in the country. I presume she was raised in. It's fine. (laughs) Uh, Lambert
0: orders Lupin taken away and Letitia's like what are you gonna do with him and Lambert does not answer so she continues to ask him about their uh, aforementioned deal she wants to be sure that she doesn't have to do anything else in order to fulfill their arrangement and so that she can go to Boston University go Terriers (laughs) Uh, but he tells her that she's not on that level yet and uh, though she is like but I I was invited by the university to apply they like recruited me Uh, (laughs) he gets real riled up about her apparent genius and yells at her for being an orphan and uh, <laughs> whose fault is that but again whose fault is that it's, it's the secret baby from the beginning we all know it uh and she's like i just want to be a real archaeologist like brisson and this really pisses him off he's like how dare you once this is over uh you can go to boston university it's fine um she runs out sort of off kilter <laughs>
1: I, again, I actually quite like how they characterize these two because he doesn't exactly have the um, stock characterization for the evil scientist archetype. Like, giving him an inferiority complex about the grandfather of the girl who he orphaned and then adopted for his own purposes, um, I think is interesting because it means that like every time he A, sees her talent and B, is reminded that nobody respects him. (laughs) Uh, He just takes it out on her. This guy is fascinatingly awful. Uh, I think the movie does a really good job of just making him horrible at every turn while still being distinctly like humanly motivated in that he's deeply insecure and clearly like he's old and he feels like he hasn't accomplished anything and he he did raise this girl but he also resents her and that's a very bad combination and uh, anyway.
0: Yeah, I like the inferiority angle and like I do think they do a good job of that. There was a lot about their specific relationship where I'm like I... Until his final big sacrifice, you really Mm -hmm. don't get a lot in the movie about, like, why she should care about him so much and how much he might actually care about her other than inferiority complex related things. Because it is a lot of, like... Oh, yes, I'll totally send you to Boston University. Ha ha ha, believe me, after I make you do all these things you hate doing constantly. Yeah, and I'm please, yelling at I you Can I go a lot. see the
1: lanterns that go up on my birthday? Like, it's it's very much just that. Um, yeah. I, the thing is, I'm not so mad about that. I'm kind of glad that they didn't make her grandpa more sympathetic on oh, account sure. of how he's a Nazi. No, <laughs> again, I'm like, terrible.
0: <laughs> I don't want him to be sympathetic. I'm okay with him being a movie villain. I just don't know if I found him the most like I think he's effective in some regards, but I don't think that their relationship specifically is the most effectively executed version of the Mother Gothel thing. If that's what they were going for.
1: Yeah, I think the fact that uh, I spend most of the movie just being like, girl, get out of there. You don't need his approval is like, well, yeah, but that's like the point. That's what you're supposed to be feeling. Like she's <laughs> she's been so sheltered by this person who is only tried to manipulate her that it makes sense that she wouldn't really have the context to be like, oh, I can just kind of do what I want. I actually don't need his permission. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is what the point of the movie is about, so I'm not yeah. that mad. She seems to
0: know so much about Bresson, a guy whose whole family apparently names all the women in it, Leticia. Um
1: I guess that never came up <laughs> yeah. in her research. <laughs> she hasn't looked far enough down on his Wikipedia page to yeah. see that. <laughs> guess not. <laughs> Relatives, uh, daughter, Leticia, son-in-law, unnamed, granddaughter, missing. <laughs> uh,
0: um uh. The big, bad, uh, definitely, totally a Nazi guy, uh, Gerard, enters, and he's like, Lambert, you fear the girl's talent. So the movie very explicitly just says out loud the internal thoughts of most yeah. of the characters as soon as they happen.
1: Um, I'm not mad. I, I feel like this movie is kind of made for eight-year-olds, but, like, uh, yeah. <laughs> <you know.
0: laughs> uh, apparently, the girl has inherited her talent, and uh, he's mad that she seems to just have Brisson's archaeological ability and also uh he's used her work her like her thesis and things in papers that he published so he's even like plagiarizing her talent to boost his own reputation and that mm. really pisses Lambert off like how dare you see through my little uh, schemes
1: and things I had this slightly horrible thought as this specific scene was playing out um which is that they they do kind of they sort of shoot theirself in the foot with one particular aspect of the underlying themes of this movie, uh, which is that, of course, Lupin III is the descendant of a great thief, and he is himself a great thief, and Letitia is an incredibly talented archaeologist, and she's the descendant of an archaeologist, mm-hmm. and the Nazi guy is like, yes, I mean, it's in the blood, and I was like, that is something the Nazis believed, but I feel like we probably shouldn't be yeah. implying they're correct. No. <laughs> so I just had that little like, oh, that's a bad implication, and then I kind of just like put it in a little box and uh, <laughs> and stowed it on a shelf for the rest of the Movie.
0: <laughs> i think what got me the most with having the nazis be the villains which they're the villains like period and in, in real yeah in the real world but like yeah yeah this is an
1: uncomplicated situation <laughs> in this movie
0: they're uncomplicatedly and pretty obviously nazis the whole time mm-hmm. and yeah. latisha has been on this plane before knows how to get to it um seems to be fairly familiar to everyone on board and also like to where her grandfather quote-unquote spends all his time
1: how did she, she hasn't not figured out know that they're, that they're Nazis? Nazis? Yeah, it's it's kind of a big hole. I don't know. It, it really does feel like the characters have exactly the information they need to have for their part of the plot to happen. And no more, no less. Um, so, well, her specifically. We can yeah. kind of assume that Lupin just kind of knows everything except Lupin for the part where he's like, know what all could the, the fun word stuff be? And
0: it reveals it at the most dramatic time, which, like, that I can... That I can suspend my disbelief for enough to be like, well, that's just the character. That's that's, yeah, that's the, just like, how he works. That's a thief having a scheme and doing his plan and only revealing it once the plan has gone off. But Laetitia is such a like,
1: <laughs> she's, an she's odd built combination. up to be
0: so, so smart and misses such incredibly obvious things. And even with the like, well, her self-esteem is destroyed. Like I get not looking into like Brisson, but like.
1: My man, those are Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like the only explanation I can think of is if Lambert has kind of been like offloaded. Like maybe if she was in school until recently, and like presumably he has like a house uh that she was raised in of some kind. Go- the thing is, like, this is all stuff that just doesn't get touched on in the movie. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, she was raised by this guy, she knows how to get to the seaplane, she knows this is like the center of operations for what her quote unquote grandfather is up to, and his business associates. I just have to assume that she has just never dealt with them for more than like a few minutes at a time before now yeah the plane uh, takes off from the sea Lupin is thrown in the hold with fujiko who
0: is also tied up she tried yeah, she
1: got captured early on remember when she did a little blep thing <laughs> yeah, uh, apparently that was the whole time <laughs> this is very very on brand for fujiko yeah. <laughs> this movie
0: plays fast and loose with the concept of how many days have gone by and i am completely okay with that at no point in this movie was i mad or annoyed that i did not know the exact amount of time it took someone to travel from point a to point b yeah um, that's fair she tries flirting with one of the guards, which works to get him closer to her, and then she manages to break out by a combination, beating him up and using some special little gadget rope thingy and a lot of special little gadget rope zipline thingies come into play in this film. Uh, I will say,
1: I feel like I might have missed something in that breakout scene, because it looked to me like her handcuff chain just snapped and then she kicked the guy's ass. I think she, she had like, like oh, a
0: razor, like, okay. zipline thing or something. Again, like a little rope tool, because she later gives it know. to Lupin to break out in the scene, and oh. I'm like... That's not, like, a key to handcuffs, so is it, like...
1: Oh, yeah, I guess a, I just like did at it that Is it one
0: of those, like, martial arts movie, like, razor wire <laughs> things, you know? Could be.
1: I um, just didn't question it at that point. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah no. I mean, they're master like, thieves. They can
0: break out. <laughs> these two breaking out was not a thing that I even thought was a little bit of a plot. I'm like, yeah, sure, whatever. Mm-hmm. Let, let's move this along. I don't know. <laughs> I was I was like, oh, we use normal going. handcuffs? Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, she changes into pilot gear that she has with her. She puts the thing she used to escape near Lupin's feet and then uses a nearby plane to fly away as the guards uh, watch her do her whole escape and wonder what they should say to their boss. Lupin clocks them with his shoes. Looks like he managed to escape in the chaos as well.
1: I, I got a, I really like that scene. The comedic timing of it was very funny because they're just like, "What are we gonna tell the boss?" And he just rears up behind them, knocks him out. It's like, "Tell him you were taking a nap," <laughs> and just goes. Yeah. Uh, Again, this is the part where brassier
0: heist music was playing. Yep, they're playing. The I was theme. having a great time. The parts of this movie that were just them doing, like, thief stuff were great. And then the mm-hmm. whole other part of it, I was like, why does no one know what's going on? I know what's going on. Why do you know not yeah. know what's going on?
1: <laughs> I think the movie steadily gets better. And I, I almost wonder if they put the breakout part at the beginning just to kind of be like, look, we're building up to the full team doing yeah. full Lupin stuff. But if we don't put something at the beginning, nobody's going to watch that far. <laughs> so let go of on slice a truck in half, okay? <laughs> it's self-care.
0: Uh. Uh, Lambert's waxing poetic about the eclipse being an extraordinary weapon to Gerard, who's like, You know, you did well uh, this time around. And Lupin is listening into all of this from behind a bar. We don't need to see him sneaking through the plane. He just got back there. It's fine. Don't worry about it.
1: Yeah, he's fine. He's just that good, man.
0: <laughs> Gerard then reveals, and I had to stop watching the movie at this point and like <laughs> oh, sigh no. deeply. Gerard reveals that um, their actual big bad boss, the one that he is subservient to, is just actually Hitler. and uh, he's not dead, he's just in South America, and (laughs) 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 it was, like, a layer too far, almost. Well, I mean, like, you don't need to convince me that the Nazis are bad guys by adding a badder guy.
1: (laughs) Well, I think that it does, again, uh, one thing I actually kind of credit the writing in this movie for is that the characterization of the bad guys is, like, interesting. Again, they're all absolutely terrible people, uh, but they also have, like, human motivations, and in the case of Gerard, it is explicit that he is just a fucking huge Third Reich <laughs> fanboy. Like, he is way, way too into, like, he's, he's like, he's got the merch, you know, he's got the authentic pistol, uh, he's, he's that kind of guy. He's legitimately moved to tears when he thinks that Hitler senpai has noticed him. Um, yeah. and I think that is a fun way to character, because he like, this is very much drawing on a lot of, like, Indiana Jones stuff. And those mm-hmm. guys are just, like, fucking paint-by-numbers Nazis. Like, not a single one of them has a a, a characterization bone in their body beyond uh, antagonist, you know, for, for Indy to mow down. Um, which is great. That's fine. But I kind of do like... Because, again, like, the Lupin the Third cast don't really change very much. They just, mm-hmm. They're just static elements that get inserted into a story. So the more, like, nuanced the bad guys are, the more potentially interesting dynamics they can have with each other, and the more ways that the Lupin gang can, like, trick them and, like, leverage their personality traits and, and manipulate them in various different ways. So I think by making all of these bad guys have, like, very, you know, human flaws and weaknesses and stuff like that, on top of also just being categorical pieces of shit, uh, I think is a good... Good quality of the writing of this movie, although I did kind of crack up when he like pulled out the photo of Hitler senpai It <laughs> was like this is what we're this is what we're doing this all for. <laughs> I it's mean, exactly to be, to
0: be... common enough a conspiracy theory that I was like, I don't want this movie to have this in it.
1: <laughs> but that's, I mean.
0: Uh, to be fair the, the t- there's a twist about that later there's a twist we... about it later but having j- having no other context having seen no other Lufan media and having yeah. just the first 30 minutes of this movie to go on i was like please don't actually make hitler a character in this movie it feels like it's just a little too possible and too close yeah. to happening and at this I'm point sorry it put i was you through too the five nervous. stages of brief. <laughs>
1: Because I, uh, I like, the first time I watched it, I was also like, "Please don't have actual Hitler in this movie."
0: <laughs> um, I was like, "Please don't please. do that." I'm like, "I, I don't t- need to see that." I don't need this. I, this movie's so goofy. I don't. I don't trust this movie to handle it like well.
1: Yeah. No, that's entirely fair. Uh, but I will say that the audience uh, will not be uh, crushed and betrayed by the way that they handle it. No, we'll um, get to it. We'll get to we'll it. We'll get to it. Yeah. Um,
0: just as they're revealing all this information about trying to rebuild the Third Reich or whatever, they uh, hear a sound. It's not Lupin, but Letitia, who was also hiding out in this room. Yeah, she... I guess she also silently slipped in. <laughs> yeah, she confronts Lambert like, what do you mean Eclipse is a weapon? I translated that as generator. And I'm like, well, it's... come on, man. It can...
1: Yeah. Oh, a great source of energy. Yeah. Yeah. We've seen things like that before. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we split the atom for peaceful purposes. <laughs> she then, like,
0: w- says, she finally puts a lot of things <laughs> together. She's like, If you're not worthy to receive eclipse, there are instructions to resell the diary, honor nib, or whatever
1: you're Nazis and I'm like no fucking shit <laughs> in the subversion she literally just says I looked up On herb. it's the name of a Nazi institute and they're like oh fuck the cat's out of the bag I guess dad he just never said the name
0: of the place he worked out loud before in her like 17 years of life
1: <laughs> maybe she just always like misheard him or whatever it's like yeah I didn't she later will have
0: memories from being a literal infant how could she have made it this <laughs> This far without having clocked that or like noticing the symbol on the pin he wears constantly
1: and saying i don't know what that is i i have no explanation uh it made me I guess so they just, angry <laughs> they needed her to not be a knowing nazi collaborator in order for her to still be a good guy
0: <laughs> uh yeah. um as yeah. she's having this whole realization and confronting Lambert, Gerard sedates her with a needle and opens the door on the side of the plane and tells Lambert to throw her out. And Lambert's like, wait, 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 let's, let's not do crazy here. Uh, so the yeah. boss tells him he's useless and then goes to throw her out himself. Uh, and after she is thrown out of the plane, Lupin reveals himself and then dives out of the plane after her. And as she's following, Laetitia has like memory flashbacks of a mysterious, gauzeated figure talking to her as, as she's a little baby, because these little baby hands reaching up, <laughs> and is saying the line about like
1: some some line from the diary, yada yada yada, like. It's uh, it's a reference to a thing she said to Lupin when they're at her apartment uh, when she's talking about how much she loves archaeology. And she's like, this is how we talk to the past. And she like yeah. holds up a little like pottery shard to her ear like it's a phone and it's very cute. And she's just having this flashback to like this Gaussian blurred figure being like, this is how we talk to the past. And, and it's his like voice Who is could not Gaussian
0: blurred. And if you haven't clocked it by now, it sounds an awful lot like the only other old man we've seen in this movie so far from the very <laughs> beginning who's now dead. <laughs>
1: It does kind of suffer from the problem of, like, I, I feel like this might be a 3D animation thing where it's, like, if you want to bring in more characters, you need to fully model and rig a new character. So, like, y- you don't really get that many crowd shots in this movie no. when they can help it. Um, or a lot of <laughs> anyway. the same
0: cop in a big group following Yeah, they do the copy-paste a lot of cops. Which I don't fault them for, because, again, it still looks nice, but, like... Mm-hmm. It made me so mad that at this point that she put the Nazi thing together at last. I'm like, okay. And then while you're falling, you're going to figure it out. You're Brisson's granddaughter, right? You got it. You're all we're all on the same page. She's not on the same page with us yet. No, she's not. And then she wakes up still falling and Lupin is also there. And he's like, I also don't have a parachute. Uh, but yeah. luckily. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Just... It was pretty the good. Funny that was pretty was... funny. I got to give but the movie the... that. <laughs>
1: The the rules internal to the Lupin the Third Universe kind of mean that you can never predict whether Lupin will have a way out or not. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, they can be like, we've taken all your gadgets and he'll still somehow have a parachute. Or, like, his hair will be a wig perfectly concealing identical hair and under it he'll be storing something or whatever. Um... So when he's like, yeah, I didn't have a plan either. I was like, what about your emergency backup parachute or your little like a propeller plane? I assume you keep stored in your jacket. <laughs> this time his backup plan was Fujiko, who
0: has a full airplane and yeah. she like flies up under them so they can grab onto the top of her little biplane. And then they like hold on for dear life as she flies away and they try to escape as the bigger airplane shoots at them.
1: Um, I almost wonder, because uh, uh, when I said that this movie has serious Castle in the Sky vibes, I think it's very intentional. Uh, that, that's, like, the first thing I noticed the first time I watched it. Like, mm-hmm. it is not as good as Castle in the Sky. Like, very few things are, but it is aggressively <laughs> not as good as Castle in the Sky. Um But I think that this whole bit might actually just be a reference to an episode of Lupin III that Miyazaki directed called Mm. Wings of Death Albatross, which features an aerial dogfight between a giant seaplane and a whippy little biplane. Um, And it is, in fact, the entire plot of that episode is just Lupin and the gang rescuing Fujiko from the the seaplane. Uh... And it's so, it's like, every element of Ghibli bingo is in that episode. It is so very much, like, one speed on that man, and I love it. Uh, And because the bad guy's base is a seaplane, and they're whipping around in a biplane trying to not get shot, I almost wonder if it's a purposeful homage, because it it wouldn't be that hard.
0: Yeah, no, it does feel very, like... A lot of the action sequences do feel a lot more Ghibli-esque, which Mm -hmm. just kind of makes... The, the parts rest. of the movie that are not that feel even more starkly not that
1: <laughs> i like how the conflict here is that parts of this movie you like far too much for the rest yeah, of the movie parts
0: of this movie are a fun little like heist situation and i'm on yeah. board for those like being more cartoony antics and then sometimes they're kind of trying to do like disney raiders of the lost ark and it does yeah. not work for me even a little bit. I'm like, I don't want this to... I don't need some Disney protagonist running around. Like, my heart is too big and quirky for these peopling her way through, like, a Nazi <laughs> plot. That's not working for me even a little yeah, bit. Yeah,
1: I think that's entirely fair, to be completely honest. <laughs> I think that this movie works as a decent... um teaser to get you to watch more Lupin the <laughs> Third. Cause the Lupin the Third parts of this movie are the best part of the movie. Yeah. And they are very, very in character. And if you're like, well, you know, I like these guys, but the plot they were doing is stupid. It's like, oh, don't worry. Can I interest you in 40 years worth of other <laughs> stuff?
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, return to the the plot that's happening. Uh, Fujiko's mm-hmm. doing some fancy flying, but eventually she her plane is hit, and they end up flying very low. Where conveniently, Jigen and Goemon are in their little yellow car. <laughs> so Letitia, <laughs> Fujiko, it, and Lupin jump to safety. Although Lupin does hit the ground because Jigen has his hands full of holding Jigen is uh, already bridal
1: carrying Fujiko, and he can't put her down yet. Uh, <laughs> there's a number of things I think are very funny about this scene. First of all, the utter lack of surprise when the car just because they're like in the middle of fucking nowhere. They're in like a they desert. Were... <laughs> They were on a seaplane. The gang realistically had absolutely no way to drive there. No. (laughs) Um, But it's just like, oh, they've crested over a hill. Yeah, that makes sense. We're about the part of the movie where the gang needs to get together. Um, And uh, the, the other thing I thought was funny is just like of the two people who were coming to the rescue it's like all right we've got the sharpshooter and expert driver Jigen and we've got the fucking terrifyingly powerful superhuman samurai Goemon and we're gonna have Goemon drive and Jigen catch people who are falling (laughs) from the sky Uh, (laughs) he doesn't even like Fujiko that much (laughs) anyway uh the
0: bigger plane swings back around to shoot at them uh exploding their car and uh the Jigen gives Lupin a noogie for not including them in their big heist plan to steal this now-unlocked on Diary's treasure. Uh, they've mm. all survived the exploding of their car.
1: They were out of the car when it exploded. Yeah. You know
0: how it'd be. It'd be that way. Um, Letitia's like, they're gonna get the eclipse. What do we do? But Lupin just tells her not to worry about it. And he's like, we have no choice but to ask him. Uh, the I one really guy, like this, this is the exact line in the sub, You're uh, in the dub, the one guy who would
1: come for him anywhere in the world. That's almost verbatim how it was subtitled too. I'm so glad that they just kept that. Uh, It's the (laughs) inspector. They're not beating the married allegations. (laughs) Uh, Is a helicopter full of
0: cops uh, ...who approach and as the dust is kicked up from their helicopter blades... ...they're like, look, it's Lupin! We see him <laughs> and it's clearly a scarecrow. His arms are so long and I like that this is working because at this point... ...I'm like, this is the kind of goofy shit that should be working for this kind of a plot... ...in this kind of a movie. Uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And as the inspector and his cops all get out of the helicopter, every single one of them... ...and go Everything, to... Even the pilot. <laughs> even the pilot and go to approach and kidnap Lupin who has given himself in... Uh, ...they realize that it is a scarecrow and they turn around and Lupin and co are in the helicopter... And Flying away. Um Mm -hmm. the inspector manages to like grapple hook his way onto the helicopter and pull himself in, and he's like, I gotcha. Uh but we just hard cut to him being tied up inside with his (laughs) face all drawn on, like it was with Lupin earlier, uh, because he is uh, dramatically outnumbered by these superhuman people, and also (laughs) Letitia, who's there.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Letitia, who's uh who's here to be, I guess, the audience surrogate on the assumption that like she is not smart enough at figuring out the plot
0: (laughs) to be an adequate audience surrogate. (laughs) you're right uh
1: she's just the thing that hooked them into the main
0: plot at this point <laughs> the group brings the inspector up to speed and it's like yep yep nazi's bad probably we should work together to stop them and latisha seems to be the one who really convinces the inspector as she is a pretty girl who's like please and then he gets all blushy and red and is like yeah we, we should work together she's um, just so
1: pure of heart and stuff i guess i guess um, Uh, (laughs) I feel like the movie very carefully dances around like shipping her with anybody because Mm -hmm. the Lupone crew are kind of ageless in a they've been at this for 40 something years kind of way and she's aggressively not in college yet so like you know probably best just not touch on that Um,
0: (laughs) yeah it it was I think they did an adequate job of not uh, making anything romance does not really factor into this even a little bit um Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We go to the Atlantic coast, an offshore oil rig, where the inspector is refilling refueling the copter. Uh, Lupin asked Leticia, "What's up?" She's looking down, and she's like, "Well, I worked with Nazis for like most of my life. And that's pretty <laughs> sucky." And Lupin, i complicit like, in
1: something horrible." And he's like, "Eh, well, you that feel guy bad? wasn't
0: your real grandfather. He only <laughs> adopted you because you were the rightful heir to the key he had, and he has to reveal to her." Yeah, that he has to tell her. She's a Bresson.
1: And I'm like, what do you mean you did not figure that out Yeah, <laughs> It kind of, yeah, the thing is, I feel like they identified a, a trope that can be extremely powerful when it's done right, which is the password was your name, because, like, that's what they did in fucking Rogue One, and it was like, oh he, he cared, I guess. Mm-hmm. And But in this case, it's like, yeah, the password that had, like, no English words could have possibly been it except your extremely contrived name. <laughs> Um, it was rough. It was this is yeah. a rough
0: conversation for me, and an audience member, to sit through. Um, cause he, cause Lupin really just to tell her that, like, well, your love for archaeology is also a sign that you're a Brissand. It's just like how I love stealing shit because my grandfather yep, was a
1: thief it's back in the box it's, it's, back it's, in, the it's box. in the box it's on the shelf i'm not touching it <laughs> i'm just like haha that's so funny legacy is weird <laughs> yeah
0: and Letitia finally believes him and lupin's like the key that i stole on the way out is also here in my hands so ha, ha, ha. we have something and it matches the one that you got from your grandfather uh because apparently not only are we uh much like our uh ancestors but also um, it was Brisson and Lupin who were Our collaborators son, yeah. and worked together. And I'm like,
1: what is, why, why, why do they yeah, need to that, be connected like this? The thing is, I, I don't hate this part because it's not necessary, but it does like feed into a slightly cool thing. in like the third act that I thought was kind of neat. Um, but I did like how he identified it because the Bresson diary it's got a big embossed B on the front and then these mm-hmm. just like these decorative flowers and Lupin's like looking at it and he's like oh shit because the flowers are like lupine flowers yeah. or something and he's like yeah it's a, it's a you know represents our, my family name sometimes which is a kind of a clever way to be like Bresson couldn't just be like noted master thief and extremely criminal man Arsene Lupin funded my expedition so instead he just <laughs> like embossed the the, the little flowers. crest under his the, like, yeah. they're not meeting the married allegation either but that's fine <laughs> um and lupin's also like i have
0: the diary because i stole it and also um uh i you know the vast flowers only my grandfather the great thief could have come up with such a contrived lock mechanism as to have like three <laughs> to four keys in a given time and also a cipher um, yeah that does track actually. which that made sense to me and then i was like <laughs> that- i feel like what i needed from this movie was like a more significant reminder that Brassan had a collaborator and that Lupin was around that time, like, mm-hmm. actively doing crazy shit. Because I feels like, did feel like, like Bra- it sort of just came out of nowhere, even though they had the one line about like, they had one line about Brassan had a collaborator and they had one line about Lupin couldn't steal the diary. And I'm like, these two things do not immediately in my mind make me think that the scene is built up to nearly enough for how much time I had to spend on she's totally not a Brassan, you guys. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I agree. I think they did a lot of uh, needless work on this part of the plot, because I th- the entire thing about, oh, Arsene Lupin was involved in this, it exclusively builds up to one slightly cute action sequence yeah. that is equally contrived uh, in the third act of the movie, and... I think it's just there. I feel like what they probably did is they designed the poster first, and they were like, how do we get do we on in these accessories? The <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How do we make this happen? We need even the hat and the cane. What do we do? You um, know if they could have snuck in the monocle, they would have. Oh, yeah.
0: Letitia also wonders why her grandfather didn't destroy Eclipse when he found it, and Lupin posits that maybe uh, Brasson thought that someday humanity would be worthy. It's
1: cool that he was wrong. Cool what? that he was wrong.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and also the place that they have to go to is Teotihuacan or somewhere nearby, um, it's neat. So they're going to go to South America. Yay. Remember that for later audience. (laughs) Uh, and Bressan and Lupin are collaborators once again through their grandchildren. We cut to a little bit north or south or somewhere adjacent to Teotihuacan where the Nazis have already arrived, entering a secret cave, the ruins of the eclipse. The big bad sort of like shoots his way in and they walk through finely carved halls until they reach uh, another walkway further in, in this room surrounded by these little orb architectures and a big mouth looking thing. And uh, Lambert goes to send a grunt through the hall and- It's Hans. He's had a couple (laughs) lines of dialogue before.
1: I was like, Lambert, you're doing my man Hans dirty like this.
0: Hans makes fun of Lambert. He's like, ha ha ha, you too scared? And then he gets promptly squashed, like, by a Just gravity horribly. trap. He gets, yeah. like, folded in on himself. He turns into, like, nothing. It's crazy. Yeah. It's horrifying. <laughs> it feels like any one single piece of technology in these ruins in kind of like a Atlantis the Lost Empire way I'm like literally any one single portion of this is the craziest shit anyone in the world has ever seen (laughs) and the fact that you had to get to the biggest craziest thing you could have just cut your losses here and you already would have had like world conquering
1: technology legitimately yeah yeah room one the fucking foyer already has all (laughs) you need um but uh, yeah, no, uh, definitely. I think this is the part where they were like, finally, we can just go full Indiana Jones. This is great. <laughs> and then they were like, oh, we also need Lupin the Third to happen. So, yeah.
0: uh, The Nazis halt their advance until they have the diary as there's no way to know how to get around the traps without it. And the uh, and Gerard and Lambert have a little argument about who lost the diary. And we find out listening in through a cup noodle uh, can on a string is Jigen, who is telling Lupin. Uh, that all of this is things that are happening also that the Nazis are at the precipice of a falling out uh, and that they have headed to the swordfish crash site to see if they can find the diary and we see a plane leaving
1: and immediately I was like well they don't have to put all the guys on the plane to go right Mm -hmm. like few Mm -hmm. of them could have stayed behind I mean, this is, this is again, screenwriting 101, when you have, like, oh, this, this thing that everybody wants is extremely heavily guarded with traps and shit, and our clever hero is the only one who can get through, and then, obviously, as soon as they get through, they're gonna turn around, and every bad guy in the tri-state area is gonna be like, hey, thanks for doing all the legwork, yeah. I'll be taking that, you see, Mr. Jones, there's nothing that you possess I cannot take away. <laughs> Dr. Jones, what am I Uh, doing? How dare you? He worked so hard (laughs) to get
0: his degree of archaeology or whatever.
1: Yeah. Uh, Maybe he went to Boston University. (laughs) (laughs) Through a technicality, he never quite got the diploma. So it's still Mr. Jones.
0: Uh, Our group of thieves head into the ruins and approach the first trial, the smusher. And (laughs) Laetitia is like, the language that these trials are written in is the key to overcoming them. And this first one is written in Akkadian, just like the Code of Hammurabi. And Fujiko, and who needs many to say something, things. is like, oh, like an eye for an eye? Uh, and this phrase, phrase makes Golemon look at all of the eyes sculpted into the room. And the inspector is like, well, one of the eyes in the doorway is missing, so they all have to find the one eye in this hall that is the perfect fit in order to proceed. Which is another puzzle that I hate. But I was m- mad that every single character had to have a line in, in order to solve it.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, that did kind of feel like we've got them all in a room. Something needs to happen. <laughs> I've
0: been watching a lot of like rewatching a lot of Futurama lately, and something that the early hmm. version, early episodes of that show do really well is they have a cast of like eight or nine characters, but not every character needs to be in or important in every scene that they're in. And I think that this movie uh... could have stood to learn a writing lesson from that at times in this end sequence (laughs) yeah probably (laughs) um Jigen goes to doze off when he's lifted into the air apparently the creators of eclipse could manipulate gravity so they're all gonna be floating around the room and doing crazy camera angles for this trial Mm -hmm. Jigen notices that a bunch of the eyes in the room are all looking towards one eye and uh he sends Lupin over there because uh when he rips it out of the wall he's able to kind of like control the gravity a little bit fly in all different directions and eventually put the eye into the statue um, Which is
1: already the craziest shit anyone's ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> it's like just... just You've just mastered he like, flight, basically. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's like, oh, okay, cool. We have to do no work to make flying machines anymore. Great. This is the Laputa prequel we didn't know we needed. Um <laughs> And obviously he stores it for later. He's like, this could be useful. Mm -hmm. put that in my pocket. Forget about it before the finale. Yep,
0: he takes that funky gravity eye as they continue onward to safety into the next room where there's a big glowy star thing. There's a bunch of little glowing rocks floating around in a big orb shape.
1: Yeah, they never really explain exactly. Like they they show that this room is threatening once, but it's not entirely clear what the deal is. This is
0: one of those classic ancient civilizations in a movie that has the aesthetic of glowy blue stuff and it's just Uh like... uh Well, we're not really any one civilization, we're unnamed, and we just had, like, the world's craziest technology back in ye olde and ancient times. Uh, And then somehow we completely disappeared. Who
1: knows? Um, We all just fucked off.
0: (laughs) This one has the journal passage of, in Ruk's 5th dynasty, the king had a dream prior to his friend's arrival. And Letitia explains that this is from the Epic of Gilgamesh, and the dream was about stars falling on oneself...
1: Yeah, I don't know if that part's true. Uh, I think the part they're talking about is actually one of the damaged tablets, where it's like, <laughs> "Yeah, Gilgamesh had a bunch of dreams before Enkidu showed up. Most of them were weird. Bye." But you that feels like a, a safe a bet to
0: use one of the damaged tablets in the in a movie if you need it to just say it's something true. Fun yeah, for you. they could
1: just be like, "Oh, this is the timeline where they didn't drop the rock, so now
0: it's fine." <laughs> At this point, uh, Jigen goes and wanders forward because his role in solving these puzzles is to just sort of lay on things, and then stuff will happen to him. And uh, well, one of the rocks because he was the like, one who was like, "I don't want to
1: participate." No, <laughs> he's like, "There's the tr- oh, the, we don't even know if there's going to be treasure. Whatever." And then he's like, "Okay, I'll show up and save Lupin, but whatever." <laughs> he's just like, "Wake me up when somebody needs to get shot." <laughs> uh, oh. And He nearly gets crushed by a bunch of
0: glowy blue rocks. Uh, this one is a pretty direct line to line interpretation of the trap. Uh Fujiko's like, oh, they're meteors. Lupin, give me one, but he doesn't have one on him and going on starts acting that bit was fishy. Because
1: really <laughs> like that could have legitimately just been like, alright Lupin, pull out your meteor. Oh, of course not. I don't have one. Why would I have one? It's like honestly, when Fujiko's like, You always have the craziest shit, I was like, Yeah, you do. Lupin, what do you mean you don't carry <laughs> meteoric iron just in case? Yeah.
0: The way that they solved this one also made me a little uh off but i was like because the goemon starts acting fishy and like backing up and they're all like whoa 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 hey what are you doing and then the inspector just says a line that is japanese words which is fine this is a japanese piece of media uh but i was like this did not translate even a little i'm like i don't know what's happening your zanetsuken is that's again is no doubt Mm -hmm. a ryuseiken, and i'm like
1: yeah None of those words so, mean anything to me in this dub. <laughs> so that's just, that's literally just how it was subbed. Uh, Zantatsken is just the name of his sword. He's just That's just just what it's called. The Sukan thing is basically, they explain it one line later, it's a sword made of meteoric iron. So basically, Zenigata's like, oh, you're acting <laughs> cagey because your sword can actually fix this, but you don't want to give it up for the purposes of this this thing. I just feel like they should have
0: maybe changed one of those to be a translation in the dub. Uh, just They should have just
1: changed the Riosuken can thing because Zantetsken is just its name. They can't yeah. change it. Or
0: like your sword is no doubt every you and then explain yeah, it in the w- next line. And instead, I was like, I don't. Work, I yeah. need both words explained to me. A dummy, a dummy viewer who is not a polyglot. I need to know more information. This line is giving me. <laughs> yeah, that that's fair. Yeah, but the movie explains as you said. The sword is made from iron from a file fallen stars ore. And though he doesn't want to use it, Laetitia asking makes him stumble. And as he gets closer to the bridge, the stars they form a bridge and he is uh, able to leave the sword in a little cup and be like i will come back for you uh <laughs> and they all cross and both, like don't want to be in this act
1: of the movie <laughs> no um
0: they get to the final trial which is just called the death corridor great this one's very fun to clear it use your physical abilities which they all immediately interpret as well we just gotta run through it right literally uh, looping, just fucking go do get it. good yeah <laughs> it doesn't really feel like a test so much but i guess in, in a way um the other two didn't really feel like tests this one does
1: yeah the other two felt like Puzzles. Oh, well one of them yeah one of them's a puzzle one of them is how well equipped are you i'm sorry ziggy is doing something absolutely delightful right <laughs> jumping now over to my chair she did the full gargoyle pose and then just the little blep for fun
0: did you get that yes <laughs> If anyone can run through and reach the cathedral on the other side, all the other trials will shut down, which is how our bad guys will get in and also how everyone else will get through this tunnel because uh, Lupin is immediately pushed in by all the other rest of the crew and after nearly getting lasered, he runs back out where he notices at the other side of the hall a slightly <laughs>
1: zapped up top hat. So there's there's a couple things I actually quite like about this that I didn't notice the first time. Uh, they're not lasers. They're little jets of water. Huh. Um, the tunnel, it's got, like, this water texture, and uh, when they do the little slow-motion shots of the little super-sharp, like, things whizzing past him, it's clear that they're just little, little water jets, and I thought that was a very clever, like, way to skin this otherwise very basic spike trap. Um, yeah. And, the yeah, the thing with the top hat was, was very funny.
0: Yeah, he sees the top hat, he's like, it's my grandfather's, and I'm like, how do you know that? It's a very non-distinct top hat. Um this gives him resolve and he takes Jigen's hat and throws it through uh, where it makes it across and then he then uses his wrist wire thingy to zoom through and I did like the like animation and this the way that they choreographed this of like he's mm-hmm. being pulled through by his wire but he's like it's a full circular tube and he's like running all over and doing back he's, he's stuff. doing
1: the rubber hose dodge thing yeah uh, to avoid getting water blasted. the music and, gets and... brassy
0: I was having yep. a good time at this point um <laughs> And as he's going through, his wire gets cut, but he's able to grab a cane stuck into the top at one part and mm-hmm. use that cane to propel the rest of his way out. And then he poses like in the poster in his granddad's yep. hat and cane as a big glowy circle the door opens behind him. Uh, it's a good shot. And it's it's just cool. That's the whole shot that the whole movie was probably made based on. <laughs> probably,
1: yeah. Yeah, they were like, we're gonna put Lupin third in an Indiana Jones-style gauntlet of traps and uh, it's just gonna be really fun, guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lupin and co. celebrate, and as they enter the cathedral,
0: Lambert commends them. Oh no! The Nazis are still here! Predictably, the big bad and uh, the one main scientist did not go back to just comb through wreckage and instead sent some goons to do so. Mm -hmm. Um, They tricked our crew of tricksters. Uh, Lambert and the bad guy uh, they tie the other members of the crew up and start walking Laetitia and the diary up to the big device in the middle of the room. Uh, and there's a little shot of all of the crew bemoaning their respective lacks of treasure and swords and freedom and whatnot. Um, yeah. Again, they, it feels like it's two this different is, movies happening.
1: Yeah, this feels like, all right, we got to shoo out the clowns so we can do the Indiana Jones thing again. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I did, I don't know, I thought it was a little bit funny just... Uh, in the sense that these guys are fun characters and just them like shitposting is automatically funny to me. Um, <laughs> I like, so. I find them very
0: charming and I like them as characters. I just wish they were in a different
1: movie. <laughs> I have excellent news about the previous 40 years of Loop on the Third
0: content. This is the point where the subtitles revealed to me that uh, the one guy's name was Gerard and in my notes God. it does say, approaching the mysterious device are Lambert, Letitia, and Gerard
1: in all caps. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the most villainous name i've ever heard
0: they unveil the big device it whirs to life lambert demands Letitia give him the diary and she's like no i'll never just hand it to you uh so he monologues about how she stole the diary and that he's got all this evidence that she's a crazy thief now and her reputation is ruined and that she'll probably go to jail so say goodbye to boston university uh, no <laughs> the most acclaimed academic you'll institution never get to ride the T or go cheer on the uh terriers at canis arena <laughs> And how could you miss the glories of moving day? I mean, I think this is pre-the existence of Warren Towers, but I'm sure there's a different freshman dorm you could live in. (laughs) Um, He just takes the diary out of her hands, though, a thing he could have done the entire time without the monologue, and
1: starts... But first he had to really establish how much of a horrible piece of (laughs) shit he is.
0: He flips through and activates Eclipse... Uh, all the while Lupin is messing with his secret gravity eye and other getting-out-of-ropes-free cards. Again. I think he's just,
1: like, dislocating his wrist. Yeah, <laughs> he's the doing thing something. he's done before.
0: <laughs> uh, they've all escaped from much worse than just rope in this movie. And I was like, yeah. at no point was
1: I convinced they were really tied up. <laughs> no, at this point it's just kind of like, alright, I'm just going to assume that Lupin can get out and then everyone else can yeah. get out. Yeah. <laughs> um.
0: Lambert, Laetitia, and Gerard hover on a flying machine up through the ceiling as the room them begins to crumble. Our crew is untied, and they begin to flee through the ruins as the ruins all crumble into nothingness. The trio fly their big plane, uh, now featuring included eclipse, only to see our thieves in their helicopter right in front of them. Jigen shoots one of their wings off. Goemon uses his sword to slice the other wing off, and you yep, think, ahaha, they've do done their thing. <laughs> Um, the big plane is downed but at that moment lambert stumbles for the eclipse and uses it to like grow new wings for the plane and i do like how this looks because like eclipse has this like blue thing that comes out of it and it looks very like like, crystalline crystalline and almost like feather looking from afar and the tail of the plane is like drooping off, the metal is bent, and it looks very like yeah. dragonfly in a way. And I thought it was a very cool yeah. look to show that this is a thing of its own now. It's
1: it's very unnerving. I like the the design of the eclipse and everything that it does. Uh, And I also like how once the eclipse is the thing holding the plane airborne, it stops moving like a real plane. Yeah. It's basically just hovering. Uh, It doesn't have any engine noise. It's just, it's very unsettling in a like familiar thing turned alien kind of way. Mm-hmm.
0: Exactly. Letitia tries to stop Lambert from using the little weapon of the eclipse, which is like a little stinger It drops and then fires something, but he manages to set it off and a little blue star falls towards the ground and makes a big blue expanding, like it wasn't an explosion, it seemed to be more of a black hole that sucked in everything in its path. And luckily, moments later after we see this whole animation happen, someone will say, it makes black holes.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I really like the visual design of what the eclipse does. And uh, the the way that they rendered just the absolute devastation is like, oh yeah, the Nazis have something that can punch holes in cities. That's really bad, actually. Mm -hmm. We should probably stop that. It's like, like up until this point it was a fun MacGuffin hunt, but they've successfully introduced stakes. Um yeah. and it's it's not like Raiders of the Lost Ark, where it's like, oh, we've got the super weapon. Oh, the super weapon has melted my face off. Where it's like, oh no, the super weapon does exactly what it says on the box, and now we have to worry about them having a super weapon. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh Lupin and Co. are stuck in the dust cloud getting thrown around, but they very quickly are able to regain control of their helicopter and escape to see the after effects of the implosion explosion situation. The investigator goes off to Radio Interpol. Um, Gerard is impressed by Lambert's use of this micro black hole generator and Lambert begins to monologue about how this was all about regaining his own glory and he drops the pin from his Nazi research institute off of his uniform as he burns Mm. the Bresson diary and is like, now I am the one in control and with all the power, ah ha ha ha. Gerard is furious as Lambert's like, you know, you have to be loyal to me now because I'm loyal to me now because I have the eclipse and know how to use it. (laughs) Um, he then yells at Letitia for being ungrateful and she monologues about how his real love was archaeology all along and despite this he's turned into a monster and that part lost me a little bit because I'm like, he seems to just be a bad scientist is kind of the gist of it
1: they're suddenly trying to be like oh he was once a slightly better person before all the nazi collaboration and you know horribly abusive childhood for latisha and stuff like that i almost um, wish
0: like the angle they had taken on this was less like he needs to be like i, I get being jealous of latisha i think that's the way to work it in but i almost wish it had been like him and brisson are noted rivals like they are themselves mm. opponents in their field um because that i feel like would have made this more impactful other than like like, I know that, like, like, Tisha was raised by him, and so there is some impact built into that, but, like, up, up to this point, I have never once been convinced that there was any care in that relationship, and I've mostly just been yelling at her to figure shit out, so I yeah. think a more effective angle would have been to link him directly to Brassan.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think that um, there there's ways they could have done that if he had, like, if he and Bresson had had, like, more of an engagement mm-hmm. than just, like, I have nothing to say to Nazi scum and then getting shot. It's yeah. like, okay, cool. But, like, it's just something to indicate their relationship, uh, their status to academic rivals, you know, Lambert is second best to Bresson. Because, like, we've had a lot of, like, tell, don't show of that with other people explaining yeah. to him how, like, oh, you've always been jealous of Bresson and now she carries on his talent, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, But I did like how as soon as he had even a modicum of power, he was like, a god am I, puny worms, you see, Mm -hmm. you cannot, I am a, and it immediately bites him in the ass. It's like, in the middle of his monologue, he forgot that he is a fragile old man who walks with a cane. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, there's absolutely nothing you can do to stop me, extremely physically fit young man with a
0: gun. (laughs) Yeah, Gerard hears that his plan is to go basically bomb Berlin, and he uh, immediately starts throwing hands. Um, mm-hmm. he's like, the only ruler of the world is Hitler. And I'm like, please stop saying that
1: movie. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, he is a Nazi. Like, this is an expected thing for him to believe. Oh, sure. I got to say it over and over.
0: <laughs> I
1: would have believed he wanted to punch Lambert without that line. That's <laughs> true. Yeah, yeah. Maybe they just wanted to make sure that the audience was paying attention. Yeah. In case you've missed the subtle hints that this man is a Nazi. Subtle?
0: <laughs> Very Subtle. Everyone, they were the audience would be working on Letitia levels, and I feel like maybe we've all <laughs> passed beyond that. Um, I mean... Yeah. They're scuffling. Letitia starts to mess, mess with the eclipse, and Gerard goes to shoot her to stop her from firing it inside of the plane, but in a, some final, for some reason, act of goodness, Lambert gets in the way and takes the bullet, and... He dies saying he thought she was just a pawn and this is where we flash back to him adopting her at the orphanage and it is just like old man walks up to the door and nun walks out young girl and they uh, adoption happens and I'm like why why didn't (laughs) Uh you just take her when she was a baby.
1: Well, it's possible that he needed, like, one he'd been investigating the diary for long enough, he was like, Ah, shit, there's a password, and uh, and maybe Bresson's heir will know the password, even though she was an infant at the... I don't know. Um, and I, it's, it's I think not a like, scene that shows a lot of care between
0: them, either. It is very much like, this is our first meeting. Impactful, mm-hmm. if I had seen that you cared about her even a little bit at
1: any other point in this movie. <laughs> I think you... So, you can read into it a little bit. There is the fact that, like, at, like, step two of their various arguments, he was like... He had reason to be antagonized, and then he was like, okay, yeah, after this is all over, you can't go to BU, actually, I don't mind, it's fine. Uh, Which was like, he didn't need to do that. That wasn't actually, like, okay, like, okay. He's not just using her as a pawn. As soon as he's done with her, then she can do whatever she wants. That's better than some terrible father figures in fiction. I'm not saying he's a fucking good (laughs) grandfather. I think he sucks. I think that the movie went out of its way to make him seem intensely hateable. Uh, but I kind of like that at the very end, he's like, you know what? I may be a horrible piece of shit, but I don't want to watch her get shot. You know, whatever. <laughs> like, I'm I willing guess. to accept that he made an impulsive decision to do one decent thing with his life. You I know, feel like it would have been, been more Darth impactful Vader. if, like...
0: Because he chooses to do one decent thing with his life at the exact moment that he is also doing the single most evil thing in his life in that he is going to about... And I'm like, I don't know that I'm convinced thinking your adopted manipulated granddaughter is about to die at this exact moment in your life is enough for you to suddenly be like wait why did i step in front of a (laughs) bullet?
1: because he
0: seems confused (laughs) about it too and i'm like it's a (laughs) movie
1: yeah i mean i'm not going to defend the writing on this i I think that that part was definitely like well we can't let letitia get shot at this point that would just be all kinds of a bummer um i think you could make the argument that like because uh lambert was like at the absolute peak of his power and then just got his absolute ass beat he might just be a little bit disheartened on his whole like a god am i thing because it's like oh well you know i i this was the coolest thing i'd ever done and this nazi punk is just gonna take it from me anyway uh so i may as well go out like a hero i don't fucking know this (laughs) this guy even he doesn't know why he took the bullet for (laughs) Letitia.
0: some things this movie needed maybe one more answer to than it provided
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and they spend so much time on so many parts of it. and then, I wonder like, the... if she's Brisson's long-lost granddaughter. <laughs> nah, I'm sure there's a bunch of other characters she could possibly be in this movie.
0: Um, before the device can fire again, though, despite his sacrifice, it powers down. Apparently, it has to recharge between uses. Uh, and just at that moment, Gerard gets a radio call telling him to take Eclipse to the Brazil branch as the Führer is there. And I'm like, oh, my yep. God, that is 100% Lupin doing a voice on the radio, isn't it? <laughs>
1: I don't know if uh, every time Lupin's wearing a rubber mask they have the actor doing the impression of whatever character he's impersonating because sometimes he's like flawlessly impersonating Zenigata so I don't know if that's just Lupin's actor doing like a really good Zenigata or if they just swap actors yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah in this case it's definitely like come on man <laughs> hey you should come to this pre-planned location where we will present a person in a very very convincing appearance of this character that you're expecting uh. who could it possibly be? <laughs>
0: Uh, Gerard is overjoyed to hear his hero is still alive, and they head for Brazil. At the Brazil chapter, Gerard is greeted by an old man in a
1: wheelchair. <laughs> it's
0: supposed to be Hitler. Sorry.
1: <laughs> I'm seeing all you the fucking five stages of grief.
0: I. At I this point, I was 100 certain that this was Lupin, and the movie will prove you right.
1: Yes, yes, you are absolutely uh-huh. correct.
0: I under, I think it's as cl- it's good to you. As upset Mm -hmm. as I was when they introduced the photo of Hitler from Gerard, I think it makes sense that his character would fall for this ploy, given that context clue being included. Um, But... "Quote unquote," Hitler thanks him for his service and examines his gun, which Letitia steals and points at Hitler, demanding to know what he was planning to do with the world. And Hitler explains that he was going to take those he considered the chosen ones to create a world for them all. And I'm like, we don't need to whack- What? This is not the question yeah, you should we, be asking. Yeah, we don't need right to talk now. about
1: this. Part. <laughs> what are you going to do with the eclipse? It would be a different. To be fair, she's probably uh, she's evidently never fucking like researched absolutely any World War II history up until she's this point. She's lived so in
0: Germany or Paris her entire life. Both locations that in very different ways were heavily affected by World War II and the Nazi Party. And I'm not saying that it yeah. wouldn't have come up at all in her, like, primary school education, but <laughs> either way, I think it might <laughs>
1: have. I'm just saying, this is this is at least consistent with her characterization of needing a fucking primer on what exactly Hitler's plan was. Ugh. Uh. <sighs>
0: Um, she is grabbed by Gerard and sent away by one of the guards who, even though we only see a corner (laughs) of his face, has so much more facial hair and longer hair than anyone else. And I was like, oh, Jigen? (laughs)
1: It's so overtly Jigen. (laughs)
0: Um, Hitler, quote unquote, asked to see the eclipse up close and Gerard uh, explains how it works as they go up in the plane and while he's examining it Hitler uh, stands up and starts getting goofier and Gerard's like whoa you're standing? And then Lupin's voice comes out of him and he starts rubber hosing like he does and it's time for the final sting operation
1: Yay
0: Um, Jigen is walking Letitia through the halls and then asks why she looks so blue a guard,
1: she's definitely in trouble (laughs) The
0: subtitle's labeled it as his voice
1: (laughs) God damn it, Subtitles.
0: Uh, And she's like whoa it's my body and then they open a door to reveal the inspector and the rest of the crew are all there this location had been seized by interpol and it was all of them who had set up a trap for gerard And we then see a little sequence where the jazzy music picks up and we flash back to them parachuting into the base and all doing their little different fighting moves and fighting with Interpol to take down all the Nazis.
1: I wanted to see that scene instead. Yeah, right? I get why we didn't do that because they needed to preserve the reveal of like, oh no, Letitia's in trouble. Just kidding, everything's under control. But like, it was, there were so many bits where I was like, oh, they're putting that in the trailer. They're putting that in the trailer. That's a trailer shot. And it's just like, just give me that move. Give me that. 20 minute episode of Lupin the third I, I, I wouldn't mind it <laughs> this would
0: have been a better like I think that the problem of this movie I had the most is that so much time was spent on Laetitia and figuring everything out and I'm like but the Lupin parts the good things and this whole sequence here like you said I want to see them take down the Nazi base I want to see them all use their special skills and talents
1: to like yeah. <laughs> conquer this place and we get very little yeah there is nothing more fun in an average episode of Lupin the Third than watching Goemon cut something ridiculous in half, or Jigen do some kind of ridiculous trick shot, or Lupin pull off some kind of ridiculous heist, uh, and Fujiko's special skill is mostly betraying everybody else, but sometimes she shows up and does something that's surprising. I just um, think there's a very strong movie
0: in, for once, the inspector and Lupin do have to team up. It's a uh-huh. it's, Circumstances are contrived a little bit, because we have to take down this crazy existential th- threat. Um, the book could still be stolen by Latisha in the beginning. We just don't have to have them go through the whole thing. Uh, I feel like there's, there's a movie in there where the finale is they conquer the space and then they set the same trap that they do at the end. And then it kind mm-hmm. of plays out very similarly. And we just don't have to go through the back and forth of figuring out who the fuck Brisson's granddaughter is for like 20 minutes. <laughs>
1: you would enjoy several episodes of Lupin the third that do exactly <laughs>
0: that. uh Leticia notices that Lupin is missing and that he is on the plane and on the eclipse uh Lupin reveals himself and reveals that Hitler has indeed been dead the whole time shocking <laughs> only Gerard
1: I, I really loved that bit though because Gerard is so like what, what, what did you do with the Fuhrer and he's like he's been dead since 1945 man didn't you learn this in school <laughs> how did Letitia was... not learn this in school It was such a fucking relief, though, because, like, I, too, had the, please don't make the bad guy be Hitler. I don't want to deal with that. And then it's, like, Lupin just being like, yeah, idiot, he's dead, remember? The part of this I
0: like the most when he's like, that photo was a fake made by Interpol to see if anyone would, like, react to it. And I was like, okay, now I'm okay with the photo existing and being so important to this man. This this scene brought me around on moments that had me sighing earlier in a way that nothing with Laetitia ever did.
1: Yeah, no, uh, this, this, that little, like, way to end this mini arc I thought was fantastic because yeah. it was literally like, fuck you. I knew everything Every single I thing to you know believed. about
0: Gerard, and he collab- had a final act breakdown in a way that was exactly perfect for the amount of information I knew about him. I have no notes exactly. on that.
1: Exactly, yeah, yeah. The only development he ever got was that when he got the, the, call from the Fuhrer he like started weeping with joy and it's like oh so he's like into this he's He's like he's like full-on fanboy Mm -hmm. I get it uh so with the with Lupin just casually crushing his horrible horrible dreams it's like yeah I believe that this man's gonna have a full-on breakdown this is great
0: uh Gerard goes to shoot Lupin, but he does his bullet trick again, remember where he takes the bullets out of someone's gun so they can't shoot him with it. Lupin is there to destroy Eclipse, and he and Gerard fight in the plane. Lupin has managed to power up Eclipse inside of the plane, starting the black hole process to destroy itself. Uh and as he goes to parachute away, uh Gerard grabs him and they continue to fight as the black hole forms. Scuffle, 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 fight, fight, fight. They're very on the planning, very dramatic. Set piece. Yeah. I thought it was cool, yeah. Yeah, eventually Gerard falls into the black hole and as a final like kindness to this enemy, Lupin like lets him take the fake photo with him, sending it into the black hole as well. <laughs> so throws it.
1: Yeah, I did kind of like that like Lupin clearly does not actually want this man to horribly die in front of him and is like <laughs> trying to pull him back. It's just he can't. Uh, and he does look a little bit like uncharacteristically like non jovial mm-hmm. uh, after this man horribly dies, you know, culminating uh, the existence of a horrible life. <laughs> Um, uh,
0: the music gets a little sad. Lupin says that he finished what his grandfather started. And then we see from down below the black hole eat the plane as Letitia is watching. No sign of Lupin. Oh, no. Did our hero, did he, did he die in the, in the black hole? but as, as we watch something blue and glowy falls from the plane mm-hmm. and then they did the thing that I hate that they did in this movie a lot where they cut away from the action that's happening to have the rest of the gang just like say a line because while they're all eh. watching the explosion the rest of the team starts to walk away the inspector's like great now that we've handled that I can get back to arresting you guys and then they start a chase <laughs> sequence so I'm like
1: resolve the blue falling thing <laughs> well i i will say that uh when Lupin's like i resolved what my grandfather started uh his pocket like glows blue and chimes and i was like oh yeah his anti-gravity device i had no and doubt that that's it what it away. was but i don't think
0: that that's necessarily overt enough that they they could have that the pacing of the they should not have cut away from the rest of the rest I, of the group doing a goofy antic at the most dramatic think... point in the film
1: The only reason that that really, like, doesn't bother me is because it kind of makes it seem like the other three are, like... Well, obviously, he got out. He's probably going to want us to pick him up so that Zenegata doesn't immediately arrest him. Let's go get the speedboat. And I just like, it kind of. So, Letitia doesn't understand the tropes of the story she's in. So, she's like, oh no, is he dead? And they're just like, if we get away real quick, Zenegata won't notice we're leaving. So, I guess I, don't I just know. think,
0: like, from. So far, the emotional core of this, for better and for worse, has been Latisha, And, like, mm. to cut from her at the single most dramatic moment for her in this film, when she, like, when she and the movie is trying to convince the audience think that Lupin is dead to his friends not caring at all and doing a goofy <laughs> antic and then to immediately after that shot not cut to them doing any other goofy antics but to cut back to is he alive or not it completely ruins any sort of built up suspense you know, Yeah, I know the fair. tools are there to solve it and I was never at any point unsure that he would survive this film but like th- this is what the movie is trying to do yeah yeah uh, but yeah, he's fine. He floats back to the ground with his gravity ball and gets a big hug from Letitia. He gives her his gravity eyeball and tells her that Eclipse is gone. No need to worry about it. Uh, I guess humanity wasn't ready for it yet. Um, and now they never will now be. they never will be. Letitia goes to say something, but what, they have to all go by in their various rides. So Fujiko has a speedboat full of treasure, uh, including what look like <laughs> stolen paintings.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The history yeah. of uh, the Nazi party and art theft is... It's sub- incredibly bad. Yeah. Uh, that that was that also went in another nice little box next to the first <laughs> one. <laughs> I, was, I was like, hey, Fujiko, you gonna repatriate any of those? Yeah. Why am I even asking? <laughs>
0: um, after she leaves, Jigen and Goemon are also there in a speedboat, and they grab Lupin, and as he gets in the boat, he tells Laetitia goodbye and that the world is now her oyster. He will see her again in five years, Sure. And, uh, that I he... think the implied is like after she graduates. Um, Boston University is a four-year institution. I guess there are actually, it's... you know what, egg on my face, there are some departments that have a five-year graduate degree program where you get your undergrad and graduate in five years. Uh, and I think one yeah. of those departments is the archaeology department. So maybe not so actually. That, that, that was... might actually be. That was the impression I got. <laughs> yeah, he says he'll see her in five years. Then he has something for her and hands her either an acceptance letter or invitation to apply from Boston University. He had mailed them her thesis, which is not <laughs> how the college application process in the United States works. Um, nope. You read a thesis at the end of your college
1: experience. Maybe it was different in the, uh, let's see, it's like 18-ish years after 1945. Maybe it was different in the early yeah, 60s. Yeah, know. yeah. Um,
0: the trio leaves, pursued by Interpol and the inspector on a different boat, and they all just leave Leticia standing on a formerly Nazi-occupied island in the <sighs> middle of the, the coastal areas of Brazil.
1: And the movie I ends. was expecting Zenigata and Co. to pick her up, but I guess right? not... <laughs> They explicitly say, "Don't come with us." <laughs> yeah, they. You can, well, because like, she's give like, give Lupin, "Can I, can I tag along?" And he's like, "Nah, you're like free as a bird now and stuff. You totally cramped my vibes." Anyway, bye.
0: <laughs> but yeah, that's um,
1: Lupin the Third, the first. Yep. I like that she never gets to say whatever she was gonna say to Lupin. Yeah. Uh because the, the obvious assumption would be it was some kind of like love confession or something, and I'm just so glad that they didn't. I'm just so glad that they just fucking it was, didn't. It was very it
0: would have been very <laughs> unnecessary into this film. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so that's that's the movie. Um there were parts of it you don't that need I need to be liked. polite about it. There oh, were parts we of it talk. that I liked and there were parts of it that I didn't. And I think it's pretty obvious which parts were which because I, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think the Lupin parts where they're doing fun heist stuff and brassy music is playing, I liked a lot because there were some very clever. Oh, yeah. I think they really did a great job of like playing into the rubber hosiness of it all and like how everyone is moving around a scene when action is happening and having some clever schemes. And then sometimes they would just be doing the Nazi plotline, and I would completely check out and be like everything about this yep. is cl- the most clumsily constructed like... By the numbers, we need to find an ancient weapon so the Nazis don't plot. Like someone watched Indiana Jones a week ago and then mm-hmm. tried to write <laughs> the plot of Raiders of the Lost Ark from memory, and this is what they got. Um, yeah, and I don't know that right. those two mesh super well.
1: Yeah, I think that uh, I think that's a fair read. I'm honestly impressed by the parts of the movie that they pulled off, I think that the animation was pretty close to flawless. Um, I think that they, because again, like the rubber hose part Mm -hmm. is the part that was the most fun and that is really hard to translate to 3D. Like you have to, you have to break a lot of rules when you're rigging a character to make them have anything resembling the squash or stretch of a 2D animation character. Um, and with a character as visibly dynamic as Lupin. Like, the rest of his gang is not as cartoony as he is. Uh, they're hard to animate for different reasons. Um, but I, I think that they really pulled off his physicality in a way that was really just... Um, I think the the animation term is just appeal, which is like the je ne sais quoi of, like, how good is the animation. <laughs> and they just had that in spades in this movie. Um, and I, I think that the fact that the part of the writing that they got absolutely right was the main guys the protagonists that are from the 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 you're distracting me with cat that's not fair um <laughs> but uh because there are so many things that we've seen that have been, like, movie adaptations or sequels or reboots or remakes that are clearly trying to take something old and, like, modernize it for, mm-hmm. like, a younger, hipper audience. And oftentimes it comes across as kind of a bastardization where they take the things that people loved about the original and it they just—none of the appeal comes through. And I think the fact that what they pulled off best in this movie is just the, the rock-solid characterization of the characters that have, like, 40 years of— you know, animated history and mm-hmm. characterization going into them. I think that that's very impressive, and it is very funny that like that <laughs> meant the rest of the writing in the movie was just spread so thin, because uh, because th- th- that does line up with a lot of the uh, a lot of the experiences I've had with various parts of Lupin the Third where it's like the main characters are pretty consistent uh they'll they'll just get put in situations and then it's just like all right what are you going to do about the situation Mm -hmm. and what those situations are vary and the writing quality of the bad guys can be extremely flat uh but it's usually more interesting when they're given something complicated to play off of um but at the same time they don't really adapt to Additional protagonists particularly well like you can have a protagonist of the week that like they're helping out with a thing And then we never see them again, mm-hmm. which is basically what Letitia is But like there um, there was a part five that came out uh, I want to say in 2015 that introduced that like kept adding like this is another like she would be a, a Protagonist of the week except she's here all season and then in the next season mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh or like, oh, uh, Lupin uh, got married in episode one. It was for a heist, but now his quote-unquote wife is just around for the entire rest of the show. And it's like, great, awesome, yeah. I love this. It does feel um, like,
0: because I think a lot of my problems in this movie were pretty related to um, Laetitia, And like, yeah, <laughs> she has to be so unobservant and dumb in order to make all of the other characters around her, in particular the main crew, but like also some of the scientists, Mm -hmm. seem more intimidating and intelligent and clever. And I think that putting so much focus on her is very frustrating as a viewer, uh, because you know, it gives you this feeling of shouting at the TV, how do you not know they're Nazis
1: yeah yeah Um, I think the fact that she's clearly supposed to be kind of our POV character mm -hmm. uh where like she's the lens through which we experience these larger than life protagonists uh Definitely does the audience a little bit of a disservice because it's not that hard to get the swing of things of like how the Lupin gang works yeah. It's like, okay, if Lupin's been in a room for more than like 10 seconds You can just assume that anything important he's already stolen uh, Anything plot relevant he's gotten his hands on. He probably has an exit strategy, etc, etc, etc Uh and once you kind of like once the gears shift you kind of start knowing what to expect again because initially it's just like literally anything can happen anybody can be wearing a mask like what the fuck but you know you sort of you adjust and you're like no i get it i get it okay this guy's probably Lupin wearing a mask but you know this guy could be somebody else um and you sort of start getting a feel for how the internal logic of the world functions but we are approaching it from the perspective of Letitia, who is you know theoretically a much more normal person despite being movie level expert in mm. all things archaeology related, <laughs> including all ancient languages ever written. Um, I yeah, I don't know. I, I think that she uh, she definitely exists to sort of contextualize to give us the normal person perspective on this, um, which I, I can see why they did that mm-hmm. because you get these characters that are just absolutely ridiculous in terms of what they are capable of. They are like a level of competence that cannot possibly happen in real life. Uh, and the contrast between, like, the way Lupin tries to heist the diary and the way Letitia steals it in the first place of the very legitimate, like, get a presumably legitimate job as a security guard, uh, one little spray thing of, like, pepper spray or knockout gas or something, and then just fucking run. Like, yeah, that, that makes sense for a baby's first heist. <laughs> uh, and it's a fun contrast with how much work Lupin puts into, like, making this look easy. Mm-hmm. But I think the fact that she is— she by mandate of the plot has to be so unobservant um, that she just doesn't put together the extremely basic trope beats of her half of the movie. Uh, does make being stuck in her head a little bit more frustrating than I think it was intended to be.
0: Yeah. Okay, like oh, I would say like getting into sort of like final thoughts and like, you know, would we recommend yeah. this movie? Uh, personally, I don't know if I would recommend this if you have not seen any other Lupin stuff because I don't think on its own merits, it holds together like, perfectly it does come across as more of like i could see myself watching this when i was 10 and being like obsessed with it but watching <laughs> it as like a 25 year old yeah that's fair uh, the parts i liked i liked but i don't think that there was enough of that to justify like sitting down and watching this on its own but it does like the things the parts that were good were the lupin parts which makes me think maybe there mm-hmm. is a better entry point to these characters and this sort of media uh, which um, you've seen more of it than me so i don't know if maybe you could talk to that <laughs>
1: Well, I have, but the the thing is, I actually think I would recommend this as an entry point specifically because it is kind of designed for that purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm not going to say that it pulled it off flawlessly, but it was the first on the Third related thing I sought out and watched, and it did eventually kick me down the route of looking into the rest of it for the same reason of like, okay, something is going on here. I like the paradigm it's establishing. I just want more of it. And then it turns out there's so much more of it. And like... There are a bunch of standout elements of Lupin the Third that get held up as like, oh, this episode is really good. Or like, oh, this one movie is really good. Um, And not a one of them works as an entry point uh, Mm. because they're all like, they're so deeply ingrained in the status quo of the established characters. Like the movies will start with like, oh, this character is getting married. This is a big deal. This character has never had that kind of relationship. And it's like, oh, I would know that if I'd seen the requisite fucking four parts that are multiple seasons each uh of characterization that would have taught me this about this character but i don't have that um and a lot of times it's like oh yeah this is the best movie it was dubbed by a completely different company it's unlistenably bad and it's really hard to find the original japanese version but trust me it's the best one and it's like i don't know if i believe you yeah. um, i think this one movie... of the movies that gets yeah, sorry oh no please well one of the movies that gets held up as a good example it was actually one that i was considering because uh we're we're working under um uh strike considerations mm-hmm. right now so uh basically it was like all right let's let's look for something international and i was like oh have, what international movies have i watched lately i can't think of anything and i was like <laughs> all the anime dude what are you talking about i um, had a
0: sneaking suspicion when i asked her to come on but red <laughs> very kindly is filling in for a, a little last minute spot on the show and um i had a sinking suspicion when i asked her i'm like we're gonna watch something anime which is totally <laughs> fine <laughs>
1: Yeah, there were there are a few anime movies there are many anime movies that I think are better than this one but I did want to talk about this mm-hmm. one because it is I find it interesting. Yeah. Um And in terms of, like, Lupin the Third movies specifically, the one that gets held up as, like, the best one is Castle of Cagliostro, which is... It was one of the, like, last things made by the Studio Ghibli team before they became Studio Ghibli. And it's got a lot of the hallmarks, but it's not representative of the way that the... (laughs) The way that the Lupin gang operates, because the way that Miyazaki, like, writes the the movie, or, like, directs it, at least, uh, the gang is a lot more heroic than they typically are. Like, even Fujiko is downright benevolent in that movie. I don't think she backstabbed them once uh it's got a moment where like they team up with Zenigata to take down a bigger threat stuff like that and it is a fun movie but if you don't know the characters all enough to be like oh it's kind of cool that they're being like notably heroic in this uh then you're just like i don't really understand why i should be invested in these guys because they're not doing many of the wacky hijinks there's many fewer gadgets than average um uh it, it plays a few things more seriously than the wacky rubber hosiness of, of the general vibe. Mm-hmm. So like all these really good installments are not at all good entry points. Um, and that's a hard thing for me to grapple with because it's like, well, I was willing to just sit down and watch through like five series taking me from like the 70s to 2015, because I'm curious and this is nerd homework for me, but I'm not gonna like tell somebody else to do that. But I can say, hey, there's a fun like, hour-and-a-half to two-hour movie. Uh, It's not absolutely fantastic, but it's absolutely gorgeous. Uh, It's got a lot of things in common with various other movies I like, and it's a good introduction to this specific cast of characters. And um, so if that does sound like something that's interesting, I would actually recommend this movie. It's not a very, like, cerebral experience. I think this movie does not benefit from overthinking. Uh, (laughs) I think that, like the the amount of overthinking i had to do to justify a couple of the plot holes was like already like we're we're punching through we're seeing the code at that point like it's not it's not good for you
0: i try to always take movies on pretty face value i'm like i'm especially for this podcast like i want to watch this and i want to think about it in terms of the information they presented us and how they presented it to us and i don't want to have to like do a lot of considerations for plot holes and things like that because that's not really what it's about right it's about did this movie do a good job of telling its story um yeah i found it difficult to not do that with this movie because there were a lot of points where i'm like the information you presented and the information that they're acting upon is not the things that i the viewer am thinking about and that is a problem but again yeah. like i think it's just a difference of exposure to these characters i the animation like you said is very very pretty if you are at all an animation mm-hmm. fan it, you'd benefit from viewing particularly the action sequences but a lot of a lot of it as well um
1: Yeah, this is one of the earlier 3D animated movies that uh, really felt like it was using the medium of 3D animation in a way that I thought was impressive. Like, this was, I want to say, like, when did Spider-Verse come out? I want to say that was, like, a little bit before this. Uh,
0: Well, this came out 2019, 2019, I think. I think it would have been right around the same time.
1: Yeah. um, And like, obviously, recently we've been getting more things like Arcane, even things like Mitchell's versus the Machines that are Mm -hmm. taking some interesting, like, um, stylization directions that we haven't seen before as much. Uh, But this was one of the first ones that, like, pulled it off in a way that I hadn't seen before. Uh, Also, at a time when, like, oh, we're trying to take the medium of anime and do anything else with it was, like, a very dangerous, right? Like, (laughs) this wasn't as much, like, sacred ground as trying to do a live action anime adaptation, Mm -hmm. which never had worked at that point. Um, but it was on the same level of like, are you sure you can take something as absolutely cart? this would be like doing 3D animated Looney Tunes in places. Right. Like, are you sure? And they were like, We're pretty sure, and then they pulled it off. Um so I don't mind that the plots kind of stretched a little bit thin because I think it's a very uh uncomplicated and just like fun experience. I could this could be like a popcorn movie or like a like with friends movie, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um it, you really kind of have to just accept that Letitia is the world's most unobservant person who's never, like, second-guessed anything in her life, uh, but also learned to Katie in front to back.
0: I'd be curious to see a cut of this where you just cut out all of the middle Letitia stuff, and it was just sort of, like, opening sequence, credits, heist happens, the book's been stolen by someone else, now we're sneaking onto a plane, like, we just, we just get to... Just Just the Lupin parts. I'm like, that's what I would watch again. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's... It was a good time. Just, just I, I realize I had many criticisms, but it was still a, it was a fun enough watch uh, overall. I'm glad. Yeah, I, I had a good time watching yeah. it for this podcast. Uh, I don't think I would have sought it out otherwise. Um, you know, you, audience, can judge for yourselves based on your level of fan of animation and willingness to put yeah. up with Laetitia's plotline, whether or not you <laughs> want to watch it yourself.
1: <laughs> um yeah what you can do is you can watch it and then you can watch raiders of the lost ark (laughs) and then you can watch castle in the sky and it'll just be a slow like escalation of like oh that's what i wanted the story to be like yeah um (laughs) yeah
0: but red thank you so much for joining me again if listeners want to hear more from you where can they find you
1: yeah, uh, the vast majority of where you can find my voice is on uh, Overly Sarcastic Productions, the YouTube channel, and the correlated Overly Sarcastic podcast that comes out what bi-weekly. What? Not that bi-weekly, <laughs> it's the other bi-weekly. Um, oh god, sorry. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's that's about that's about be sorted. So.
0: right, all that will be linked in the show notes below. Um, I'm off to steal a mysterious artifact with uh, various family <laughs> crests and lock mechanisms on it. And all of the letters in the cipher are S-O-P-H-I-A. So who knows what it could spell? Um, We'll catch you next time. We need a (laughs) five-letter word
1: that uses all five of these Uh, letters. We'll catch you next time.
0: Thanks for listening. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Movie Struck. We'll be back on November 20th with another thrilling installment. But if you have any questions, comments, or concerns for the podcast before then, feel free to email us at moviestrickpod at gmail.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate us and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. And if you really enjoyed the show, consider becoming a patron for more exclusive benefits like uh, special Discord server channels and monthly patron-selected movie reviews. I'd like to give a special thank you to the patrons who joined us last month. It's because of you guys and everyone over on Patreon that we are able to keep the show going and keep frequent guest Ziggy and the Good Cat Food. So a special thank you to Rash uh, and all of the folks who joined us for free last month. Um, We are super excited to have you and we'll catch everyone on the next episode.